to 2008 classic podcasts remixed and remastered. Continue with parts one and two of Jeff Emig. This is a great podcast. Fro is uh, uh, really open and honest through the whole thing. And we couldn't cover his whole career in one, so we did it in two. He was working at Fox Racing at the time, so I thought it would be neat to, I guess, call and let it ring to Fox, both for part one and part two. Seemed kind of strange, but that's what I did back then. I don't know. I wouldn't do that now. Or maybe I would. I don't know. Maybe I should do it again. Anyways, you can hear these, uh, you hear this podcast, uh, like I said, remixed and remastered for you. Fly Racing, uh, bringing you the Racer X podcast. Uh, this this one's interesting. This one's unique. I got a lot of feedback on this one, uh, both one parts one and two, because Fro is just open and honest. He just lays it out there, talks about everything that he went through, good and bad. The guy had a ter- terrific career. I feel like he doesn't give himself enough credit on the broadcast, by the way. And uh, still to this day, he's, he's pretty modest about that kind of stuff. So, anyways, thought you'd enjoy this. Parts one and two of the Classics podcast with Jeff Emig. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, thanks for listening to all of all of this stuff. Really appreciate it. All right, here we go. This is a warning. Your brain may explode from listening to this show. We will not be held responsible if it does. What are you going to do about it anyway? You won't have a head. You've been warned. And now, welcome to the Racer X Podcast Show with Steve Mathis. Hi there. I'm looking for the uh, only person there to have won a Supercross championship. Do you know who that would be? Um, you're looking for one of our writers? Jeff Emig. I'm sorry? Jeff Emig. Okay, hold on one Thanks. second. Emig here. Jeff Emig. Welcome to the Racer X podcast show. I'm Steve Mathis, in case you didn't know. Oh, no, I knew it, it was uh, Mathis. What's going on? What's happening? How are you? Uh, I'm great. Just uh, getting a little bit of work done. I uh, I called the secretary, uh, the receptionist, sorry, and uh, asked her for the only person in the building that has won a Supercross championship. She said, do you want to speak to one of our riders? And I said, in a way, I do. It's Jeff Emig. So... <laughs> You need to you need to get a little more. Maybe bring your plaques in and just leave them on the desk. I'm going to bring the trophy in, right. in like a wagon, and I'm going to wheel <laughs> it around a little bit so everybody understands. Perhaps right? all Some of people you... have forgot. It's so long ago that they don't really remember. Perhaps you bitches need to look at this trophy and then realize who you're dealing with. Um, thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. I've gotten a lot of requests for you and. Uh, I, I've always wanted to get you on, so here you are. We might have to we not, might have to do this in two parts. There's so much to talk about with Jeff Hemig. Well, 
Well, there certainly is. I know I've got a lot of stuff on my mind, so let's get to it. And I know, uh, as, as you told me before, there's no limits. I can ask you about anything. Well, why should there be limits, right? right. Your, your life's an open book. Uh, let's get going. What are you up to these days? I know you're doing the Supercross stuff. Uh, what's what's this thing? What's what's the thing that Jeff does away from the uh, TV? Well, yeah, as you know, I do the, the broadcasting, the color yeah. analyst for Speed, CBS, all of that with uh, with our Supercross championship. Um, plan on doing the motocross again next year. Um, I did a few of the events this year when uh, uh, when David Bailey couldn't uh, attend the events, and uh, you know that's um, that's a passion project for me that uh, that I really enjoy. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's been a challenge too, you know, growing up uh, with a you know with a uh, speech impediment that uh, decides to manifest itself when I say <laughs> speech impediment, uh, ironically. Um, but uh, I keep really busy these days, and and um, a project that I started this year with uh, Fox Racing has been uh, taking taking up a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I did one of these with Justin Barsha, and I'm like, uh, I don't know how it came up. Something about Fox. He was like, you know, Jeff Emick spotted me when he was here, um, maybe when he was just done racing, and he and he saw me and he he offered me a ride, and and, and it started from there. My relationship with Fox, so. So good job on that, Fro. Way to spot that talent early. Yeah, that was that was a crazy day. We were um, it was uh, back in my shift days, mm-hmm. and we were um, we were up at Southwick for a Fox slash Shift uh, dealer ride day. Yeah, and it was raining a bunch, and but the, um, all the dealers and their guests and everybody came out. It was it was a really cool day um, because it was raining and and the track was just uh, you know it was it was just perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't primo as yeah. they might say up there in um <laughs> Beaut, beauty. It was beauty. Yeah, what's the slang they say up there? Wicked. Uh, wicked, yeah. <laughs> and uh and so when I would do those things I would uh I would like to go out with like every different group, you know, whether it was the fast guys or uh the not so fast guys and then the kids. Right. And uh and I'm riding around and the announcer you, you know, you could hear the announcer just, mm-hmm. you know, talking and it's and, um, you know, because there weren't a lot of bikes on the on the track. And I pull up behind this kid on this, uh, I believe he was riding a KTM 85 at the time, and he was just ripping. And yeah. I couldn't believe how fast he was. And so I start kind of, you know, swapping the lead with him back and forth. Then I hear the announcer, I mean, just going apeshit. Right. right. And, and I'm like, wait, does this guy know that we're, you know, we're out here just kind of playing around? Yeah, and then exactly. all of a sudden the fans... Like, everybody on site was literally hanging over the fence, cheering Justin on. I mean, just, you were like, what like, is this, 97 all over? Is like, this... is this for the championship, right? And it was great because of the support that they gave him, that everybody recognized that this that this young kid was a really special talent. And pretty soon, I mean, I mean, I'm riding a production uh, KX250 or something at the time, right. and I'm having to ride it pretty fast. Just to you know, just to race around with this kid. Yeah. Um, and the, and uh, when we pulled off, it's like people were cheering, and they were. It was a really, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, did that just happen like uh, that? It's like a Rocky uh, moment or something. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. And then the best thing of all is that um, um, here comes, you know, I'm getting undressed and stuff, and you know, saying hey to everybody, and and here comes this kid, Justin Barsha. He couldn't have been no more than. Maybe 
12 or so at the time. He comes up, introduces himself, mm -hmm. like totally mature, right. you know, just right up there. Hey, what's up? I'm Justin. I was the kid on the KTM. And uh, so I spent a little bit of time with him that day, and I was really impressed. And now it's great uh, that all these years later that we get a chance to work together and, you know, we're seeing his uh, – you know, seeing his pro career uh, start off uh, like it has, has has just been incredible. So, and what else was incredible was this kid remembered that you hooked them up. You know how that is with these yeah. kids nowadays. Like they, you know, they don't uh, they don't know who's giving them what free stuff. But uh, he remembered. He was like, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, at the time I was on a on a dealer <clears throat> tour, um, you know, back in the Northeast, and uh, the next day, ironically, we were going to um, his local dealer. Which I wish I could give him a plug right now, but the name of the dealer slips my mind. Mm -hmm. But um, Wicked Racing and, or something. Uh, what's that? Wicked Racing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, got a chance to meet his dad the next day, and mm -hmm. uh, and right then I was like, hey, uh, you know, called back to the headquarters and <laughs> and uh, talked to Ralph Salcido and them, and it's like, hey, this you know this kid needs, you know definitely needs to be yeah. wearing our brand uh, shift. So yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, I want to talk about the uh, the Supercross shows that you do. Now uh, you and I have talked before um, off the air, and uh, it's a lot harder than you think it is, isn't it? I mean, it's not easy being being one of those guys. And, and you know, sometimes uh, yourself and Ralph come under criticism, Ralph especially, and uh, I've done a little bit of it, never on your level, but it, it's not easy, right? It's it's not easy, and it's like a lot of jobs. Um, when you see a professional motocrosser out there and he gets the whole shot and leads every lap, you're like, wow, that's easy. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to make it look that way. And uh, believe me, there's uh, Ralph and I have got it good compared to uh, the TV crew and everybody that uh, does a lot of the real work, as you would say. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's there, there's some long hours on that. And uh, Ralph and Aaron and I, we we all kind of blow in with the wind and high five everybody and hugs and was it time for lunch and let's go have some fun and yeah. we do our job and then we're out. But um, you know, I, I, w I would say that on the TV crew, uh, we've got the easy jobs, that's for sure. The uh, I, I feel bad sometimes because, I mean, you know, you, yourself and Ralph, you, you guys aren't perfect. You, you make the odd mistake like like we all do in all you know aspects oh, of our lives. We're not perfect, but Aaron is. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Aaron, too. I yeah. gotcha. Um, I gotcha. I, that's a whole other topic that I don't really want to get into. But um, I, I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan in any sport. Of the sideline reporter. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I'm just not. A the jealousy is starting to no, flow. See, I didn't even want to go there. I just, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey. I just but, feel like there's not a whole lot that a sideline reporter adds to the race. And another thing that I would do if I was king of the TV world is I, I mean, you couldn't do this. You don't learn anything from the post-race interviews either, generally speaking. You know, unless there's some oh, sort no. of it's, unless there's some sort of feud it's or payoff. You yeah. got to get the sponsor logos in there. That's what it's all about. Exactly. And if somebody happens to say something interesting in there, well, all the better, right? Right. No, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, if I was king of the TV world, but I'm not, and I'm sitting here in my room, you know, in Vegas, talking to you. So, uh, anyways, uh, do you feel like Ralph gets a bad shake sometimes? I don't. Do you read the message boards? Do you go on them? Do, uh, have you probably just learned to never even read them because? Well. There is some hatred for a guy on there that's been calling yeah. motorsports for 30 years. I don't know. 20, 20 years or so, yeah. yeah. Maybe not, that, not quite that old. But, hey, Ralph's one of the best dudes you'll ever meet. And the only time that I've ever, ever 
I mean, honestly, gone on a message boards like that was when um, on uh, Racer X we announced that uh, that Bailey and Wygant were going to do uh, do the outdoors, uh, you know, with the motocross yeah. uh, this year, and I wanted to 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 just kind of get a gauge of what everybody felt about that, and it, it, it was just horrible. Where you know what people were writing about Ralph and Aaron, and there was a little bit of stuff about myself. Maybe people take it a little easier on me because. Um, you're one of us, you know, or whatever. Being yeah. a former champion, and maybe the respect there. Um, but I'm like, man, if you guys, I mean, if you have anything bad to say about any of us, it's like, you know, how could you single anyone out? And and I, you know, I just find it hilarious because you're like, if Ralph, let's say, since you're talking about him, if he was as bad as what everybody thought, Speed would not have him as a contract guy. Right. He wouldn't be doing you know, MotoGP and all this other stuff, hosting TNN NASCAR shows and all that. So it's, you know, I think it's a real select group that, um, you know, from what I understand, the whole chat board, uh, um, you know, their whole uh, circle, um, there's just really not a lot uh, a lot of good things that they say. Well, it's, it's 80% of... You know, eighty percent of fifty people that maybe be upset or whatever. But yeah, uh, so hey, believe me, you guys have no idea what goes on on our headsets while the race is going on. When, when the you know our producer is talking in our ear, Ralph and I are trying to have a conversation. This thing, that, and the other is going back and forth, and you're trying to listen to all these things. And mm-hmm. and, and what I always say is what Ralph does. Like like nobody else is that when things go bad and all of a sudden you know the producer and you could just hear that in the TV truck something's gone wrong and it goes wrong all the all, oh, does all it? the time yeah. it's just the nature of the business right. and Ralph heart rate never jumps he's like mm-hmm. okay Bondo talk me through it I know where we're at and he's and he just flows through that stuff and you guys never notice it yeah yeah. Okay, you never know it. Me, I'm off on the corner, like you know, sucking my thumb, just locked up. Going, oh my god, I hope I don't have to say anything right now because my mind just exploded. I don't have nearly enough experience to pull through this, right. you know. And Ralph's just like, dude, it's cool, whatever. We'll just we'll just get it done. And so, you know, whether you like his race call or you want to be judgmental or something is 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 way out of line because that job I could not do right now. I don't have the confidence. Mm-hmm on the broadcast to take that over. And that's something that, you know, 20 years of doing uh, what's Ralph do. There's 52 weekends a year. He probably does about 40 events, 40 live events, plus other stuff, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome what he does. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, and no offense to you, Fro. Ralph's got the harder job. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then he, he does a lot of work. If you really sat down and you timed out the show, mm-hmm. Ralph handles most of it. Right. But Aaron being down on the line and, and, and working with the RF mics and cameras and, you know, braving the elements and the noise and all that, I've done that. I, I did that job in 02 or 03 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, wow, this is not for me. This is, this is really tough. Um, so whenever Bailey's reign is over, I would like to be in the booth, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and I just, I speak when spoken to. Ralph asked me questions, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of time, too, people, they give Ralph a bad rap because when we do our CBS shows and stuff, we try to broaden it out for a broader audience. You do, And right. so he may ask a really basic question. What's a seat balance? What do you mean by that? And all of our hardcore fans, which we certainly appreciate and love that are on the chat boards, 
they're the ones going, oh, that was such a stupid question. You're going, well, yeah, because that question wasn't for you. You already know everything. This is for our viewer that doesn't know that we're trying to pull in Mm -hmm. and that we're trying to introduce them to Supercross, and that's what we do with our network shows. And so I think sometimes, too, it seems like people give him a bad rap for that, and it's like, hey, he's just doing his job. You know, Ralph is as intelligent and knowledgeable motorsports broadcaster slash fan participant that you will ever find. If you call that guy up on Monday morning and ask him what happened in any series in motorsports, he'll tell you what happened that weekend, who's leading the points, what's the vibe going on, who's going to what team, and what's happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's just incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I've done that. I've done the, the, the your job. I've done a, down on the down on the pits for the webcast stuff. And, and in a Montreal Supercross, I had to be Ralph and Weege, the play-by-play guy, and because Holly, I brought Holly up, and and it man, it's hard. I mean, I can mm-hmm. I can be like you and talk about what I know, but when you have to, you're in charge of the action. You're calling the you're action. You're, you're thinking right. about what That's questions right. to ask Holly. It ain't yeah. easy. And um, thanks for saying that. I mean, I, I I'm on your guys' side where I'm I'm sometimes. I mean, I'm not frustrated at the broadcast, I know, but I, I feel like I have a good handle on who they're for, what it's all about, and how hard yeah. it is. And I have to laugh when I see posts that say, get Stevenson and Emig in there. Well, who's going to be the play-by-play guy? Who's, who's, yeah, who's, who's going to host it? Yeah, I mean, those two will end up just you talking know, about some, some club in Vegas, you know? Yeah, well, you guys know that uh, there's, there was a couple times last year when um, I would do a speed report um, on my own. Mm-hmm. And, it, 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 you know, a couple times maybe knock it out in one or two takes. Sometimes maybe it took ten takes. And just to do those things, just mm-hmm. to kind of, okay, we're just going to, you know, we're going to. Just going to wrap it up know, or whatever, just yeah. Just initiate this, this wrap-up. Um, Ralph's got like 50 ways to start that. I have none, you know. <laughs> so, but he also, he doesn't have the racing knowledge. And that's why we each play our role. Right. And I, you know, it, our crew, whether it's our producers and directors and everyone from Speed and Feld and Aaron Ralph and myself, I mean, we've got a, a really tight bond. We're all going to be back again next year and hopefully for years to come. And there's some great friendships that I've developed along the way. And for sure, Ralph, being a little bit older than me, you know, he's married like I am, got two kids. His kids are just a little bit older than mine. So, you know, Ralph's been such a mentor. Uh, to me in a lot of different ways, you know, kind of like an older brother, uh, you know, best friend type of thing. And we spend, you know, 17 of the first 18 weeks of the year, um, you know, hanging out, going to dinner. Yeah. When I see you guys in the pits, you're broing down with each other. You know what I mean? You're strolling through the pits uh, with each other. So, um, yeah, that's good to see. But uh, I don't know. I I think, yeah, I just think you guys get a bad rap. And I just want to kind of clarify that a little bit and and go from there. Let me ask you this. any bitterness that you didn't go to the outdoors? I mean, you did. You filled in for David, but any anything there as far as uh, not being not, asked to go full time? No, no, not any bitterness. Just, um, I mean, I really love what I do, right. and as much as I, um, I really miss being away from my family when I have to go do these events. Um, there also is a is a real desire to. Um, to be involved in those races, to go through that championship um, battle and to almost relive it vicariously through these other guys. Mm-hmm. Because what I always try to do is I, is I, put my, I try to put myself in their position and to feel what they're feeling. And that's why you, you, know, you get in that mindset of a champion and what these guys are trying to achieve. Um, and, uh, I mean, 
this is what I grew up doing, and that's why I haven't gone to do any other racing or any other stuff. I mean, this is where I choose to spend my time, and this is the group of people that I choose to be around. Okay, and I love it. And and not being able to go to these these events, I still feel like I'm missing it. I mean, seriously, you know, whether the race is on the East Coast or in Central Time or on the West Coast, mm-hmm. if I'm not there, like there's literally some sort of internal clock that goes that <laughs> rings. It's like, uh oh, it's one o'clock, time for the first moto, you know. And so, uh, I mean, just been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And I, and I uh, yeah, it. Um, that's why at the at the final race, Bailey was kind of on the fence about whether or not he was going to be able to make it. He ended up going, mm-hmm. and um, you know I talked with uh, you, you know I mean everyone that was involved with uh, TV, whether it's Lucas and Ally and uh, with MX Sports. That uh, I said, hey, look, you know I even though I've only done a few of the races this season, I would really like to do this final championship race. I mean, you know this. You know, what I mean, this yeah, means a lot. To this me, is it, uh, right. To be involved and to, you know, uh, to be there for those. So it, it was really, you know, I was real fortunate that uh, I got to do the broadcast with, with David and Jason. So because we had a great time that day. Let me ask you this: What's the differences between Weege and, and Ralph? What, what do you, is, is it different cadence? Is it different things you want to know? Does Weege or one of them throw you questions that, different questions? What, what, what what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think the the real uh, um, the real difference is that uh, is that Wygant, you know, his relationship and and uh, business with you know with Racer X, and that he's he's so much more dedicated uh, and it, you know really um, follows you know, it. Like, yeah, yeah he's, it, he's he's right in the thick of it. Yeah. Um, and and with Ralph, I don't I don't think it takes away from his broadcast, but you know he's he's he, you know he does other things. Right. And so Jason has so much more inside knowledge um, of you know I mean of everything that's going on. But I mean I I truly enjoy working with both with both of the uh, both of the guys. But no no real differences in your style or your answers. You know what I mean? Like any, any like any anything like that or kind of the um, same same deals. W- I mean, Ralph, I think, knows me um, a little better, but uh, certainly this summer I got to know Wygant um, mm-hmm. on a level that I hadn't before. And, uh, you know, like I said, I truly enjoyed working with both guys, and, and they're both different but the same. They both bring a certain level of expertise, uh, a certain amount of humor, a certain amount of seriousness. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, if you're asking me to make a choice, which no, one no, no, better, no, I'm not. no, 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 not at all. It doesn't all. exist, you know. Yeah, I, I uh, I guarantee you, Wygant was a little nervous working with Jeff Emick. He's a he's a super fan, so he might have yeah. that, that might have taken a, a race or two to get over. But uh, yeah, he had me sign my um, my notes uh, from the first event. <laughs> See, sign them and date them for him. No, I'm <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, actually, uh, you might have to sign my computer screen when my wife finds out that I did this with you. Um, she has uh, one of your jerseys from '97, Shift Number One. 98, I should say. Wow. And, that's a good one. Uh, and she named her Goldfish uh, Jeffro um, back wow. in the day. Yeah, it, it that's, a, that's a new one. I've, I've uh, had a dog named after me, but never oh, a Goldfish. Yeah, so that's, yeah. Wow, check that off the list. Don't let me go on my computer on my list here. <laughs> yeah, check. Goldfish. Goldfish. Uh, any tattoos of you? I'm sure there had to have been some. Uh, I don't know. No. Um, 
Anyway, so my, yeah, my wife's gonna be very pumped on this. By the way, um, she was all uh, kind of hammered one day at the one year at the U.S. Open, and you were there, and we were hanging out, and she was like, "Hi, Jeff," and you're like, "Hey, what's going on?" And uh, she was like, "Hi, Jeff," and I'm like, "Yeah, you said that already, honey." And you're like, "Hey, hey," and she's like, "Hi, Jeff," and I'm just like, "Oh God, I gotta go." You're embarrassing me, honey. But uh, anyways, uh, enough about that. 22 minutes in, and we haven't even talked about your career yet. And now we're going to go. Yeah, I want to talk about that anymore. Oh, I do. I do, and all the listeners. Um, uh, we're going to go back in the time machine now. I was going to cover some of your amateur stuff, but I knew we'd get talking about everything else. So we're going to start your first year, Cowie, end of 88. You turn pro. Uh, on an 88 KX125, I had one of those bikes and uh, and single side radiator. I remember it well. Didn't you your first pro national Washougal? Didn't you hole shot? I think I remember reading something about yeah. that. You hole shot your first pro national. Talk about that, what, that, what that was like. 747, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was chomping at the bit. I was getting ready to, to turn pro and just couldn't wait. My dad's like, "All right, you want <laughs> you want to <laughs> jump into the big pond? Let's go. Yeah, you know, yeah. we'll go." Uh, See, see what you got, see where you're at, you know. Um, the plan was to ride uh, Pro-Am stuff in 89. So I was going to still ride the amateur stuff, but I wanted to ride some Supercrosses and mm-hmm. ride some Nationals. And back then it wasn't um, wasn't like it is now. You know, it's, it's not as developed. The path isn't as clear. And, I mean, heck, you know, the, the pro team managers, you know, barely even knew who you were back then. You really? Know, so you, you weren't some sort of prodigy or nothing? Yeah, you weren't some sort of prodigy where they were like, wait till Jeff Emig gets here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, it's, that's been a long time ago. But I remember hole shotting the race. It seems like I led for 20 minutes or so. Really? Um, yeah, it was one of those tracks. It was perfectly smooth. It was uh, the perfect track for me 20 minutes. to go out and to execute those type of laps. But right. uh, um, you know, the amateur races weren't much more, th- th- you know, than about 20 minutes. Yeah, That's yeah. Where my fitness was, you know. Um, so or, per- you know, because there really was no fitness. I didn't train or anything back then. I just rode. You yeah. Know? And um, you, you know, I think I faded back to like a seventh. And in between motos, I remember laying next to the box van on the towel. <laughs> just going, there's no way I can get up and ride the second moto. <laughs> I mean, I was cramping up. You know, yeah, yeah. hydration? What's hydration? You know, <laughs> right, I didn't, right. Nutrition? I didn't know anything about any of that. Yeah. And, um, you know, last call, 125 second moto, my dad's like, do you, do you want to ride? And I said, okay, I'll ride. So I hurried up and got dressed and uh, crashed in the first turn, um, had a separation in my shoulder. You know, uh, I, well, I got up fell again on the first lap, you know, right. separated my shoulder, and I was out for a couple of months. So huh. um, but I found out that the water in the big pond was really cold. But but here's the thing. If there was the internet back then, it'd be like, Jeff Emig, whole shot and led his, the very first pro national he was in, like, oh, my God. Like, that's that's really, really amazing to do. Uh, it'd be like, you know, Barsha did it in Glen Helen, and, um, you know, Ricky didn't do it. Um, yeah, Barsha totally one up to me. That's why I told him. I said, "Man, I I thought I did good in my first <laughs> race. I guess yeah. you, you know, he led like uh, of the seventy-five minutes of racing that day. He led over over fifty, I think it was. Right. Uh, now, forgive, pardon my ignorance, but uh, were you? I don't remember you being like an amateur phenom. I remember you winning here and there. Like, what were your amateur results like? Uh, back back then, I mean, you and Bradshaw went at it for sure a bunch, but didn't he mostly get you? 
Uh, Bradshaw was on a little bit different. Uh, he was he was a little bit younger than me. Oh, okay. Ironically, that that seems odd, but um, yeah, I mean, I I certainly raced against all of the all of the top uh, mm-hmm. kids and won at every level. So whether it was on the 65s and 80 intermediate, 80 expert, yeah, I won all all that stuff. It's just being from the Midwest and and all that. Um, um, uh, you, you know, I just you know only in maybe 97 or something was I. You know the guy mm-hmm. that uh, you know he was like the sure thing. Um, I always was kind of the underdog that wasn't supposed to win it. You know we uh, we didn't ride for DMC or Pro Circuit or any of the other top hop up shops. We did all of our own work, and you know we had all of our you know we had our own hop up shop. Yeah, built our own suspension. Yeah. yeah, all that. So yeah, so my dad was extremely talented in that way and uh just dedicated his life to it you know and and on the modified 105 well hell you know even the stock bikes we just we just knew how to tune them better right and um you know well within the limits of being stock but just knowing how to fine tune something you know jetting and stuff like that working on tire testing and stuff way back in those days um and i think that when i became a uh you know, a, a pro. I got a lot, yeah. of, a, a lot of compliments on, you know, on my testing skills um, of knowing what I wanted, knowing what was the right direction to go, um, and and of of course that all of that time back in the '80s spent with my dad of learning um, about the machines and uh, where horsepower needs to be, what's the best way to develop a bike, and all that. Um, certainly, uh, you, you know, paid off uh, dividends when I was a professional because I knew exactly how I needed to, to set the engine up. I mean, in uh, 91, 92, uh, the YZ125 wasn't the best bike, you know, yeah. the, the production bike. But we we really worked hard um, like we did on, you know, like we did on my Cowies in the mid-90s um, of, of making the engine the best it you know, the best that it could be. Right. For sure, it worked. There was like a synergy there between knowing how to set the bike up to get the whole shots and how that affects my confidence and having the right um, skills and starting technique that would allow me to be such a good starter, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think all of that worked together, and that was something that was developed from, you know, 1979 on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, huh? So I was, I was, uh, I was wrong. You were... You won quite a bit in the amateurs then, so I didn't really do my homework there. You did win quite a bit in the amateurs. Um, hey, so you have a good year at Cowie, 89. Uh, definitely, didn't you win some supercrosses in 89? 89, no, I... Uh, you came close. Again, there was, you're going you're gonna to see a pattern here. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my very first supercross was Anaheim. 89. Um, I had won the Mickey Thompson Ultracross in the stadium the weekend uh-huh. before. Uh, and so we show up there, and once again, I was a team green rider. Mm-hmm. You know, wasn't the factory guy. You know, uh, Jeff Matasevich was the factory Cowie guy. Um, whole shot and win the first heat race of the night. It was just spectacular. There were like 72,000 fans there, you know, when they mm-hmm. had the full stadium. Uh, you know, just incredible being a kid from the Midwest, and now I'm on the stage, and and uh, won my heat race. I get up on the podium, and Larry Myers just, you know, throws the mic in my face, and I, I can't even get a word out because I'm stuttering so bad. Uh, it was just really over, you know, really overwhelming. And then in the main event, I, uh, 
I got the whole shot again, and I led for 11 of 15 laps. Right. And uh, Matasevich passed me, and I remember just being so pissed. And I was just like, I'm going to pass him back. I'm going to win this thing. Right. And I missed my rear brake and went over a berm <laughs> and uh, crashed. And I got back up and finished the seventh, you know. But, um, yeah, it was a, that was actually a really great night. And, and, and to tell you how it was, the difference between now and then is, so I ride my first Supercross, almost win the thing. Um, the next day, we go down to Carlsbad to ride a Golden State race. Yeah. Um, and I'm racing against Mike Craig. You know, I end up crashing in the second moto and breaking my elbow. And, and all of that momentum was lost, you know. Right. And that wouldn't happen. I mean, why would you go ride a money race the next morning? <laughs> exactly. You know? uh, you'd be, so, uh, yeah, just celebrating still at 7 in the morning, 8 in the morning. Was, we were trying to make money back then. Yeah. That's how it was. And they were big make races. Money to buy gas. Right. To pay rent, to do whatever, you know. To get get to the next race. Uh, well, here's what I here's what my point was was I remember, like in '89 and '90, you being an up and coming star and getting better and doing well. And you, but I was wondering why didn't Cowie keep you, or was it a matter of Yamaha throwing a lot more money? What was the decision behind going to Yamaha in uh, at the end of '90? Oh, and uh, well, it was interesting. Um, you know. Kawasaki at the time, uh, you know, uh, Roy Turner was the team manager. My first year, Jeff Ward was on the team. Johnny O'Mara, Jeff Matasevich was, you know, just exploding. Right. You know, talking about being low man on the totem pole. Uh, yeah, yeah it was, uh, I guess. You know, and there was it, it was just rough because at the time, my dad, he still worked on my bikes then. Mm-hmm. And my dad wasn't there to help Kawasaki's race team program. He was there to help me. Right. And we were there to beat Jeff Matasevich. And there were times where, you know, all of our, you know, the engine specs that they would come up with, my, my dad would do something better. Really? And so, at the factory yeah, level? At the factory level. Up, yeah, yeah. Grind up my own cylinders, and then he'd uh-huh. say, hey, you know, I want that. You know, Roy Turner's like, hey, you know, I want that spec for, you know, for the other Jeff. Yeah. And my dad would hand him off something that was a that was a pile, and so he'd say that's that's what we're using. Yeah, yeah. He would keep the spares and the good stuff like in his suitcase. Yeah, it was wild. Wow, that's uh-huh. crazy. They let that stuff go on back then, you know? Like oh. they didn't know it yeah. was it was crazy. You know, it was it was not at all what it is today. So are you saying that's why you left Cowie? Because <laughs> they were like I you're just, fired? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that any of that was working out uh, like it should have. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that at the time my dad was prepared to let me go mm-hmm. with w- with that team. Um, what he did feel comfortable with is that, um, you know, Bevo Forte made the call to his old buddy Keith McCarty and said, hey, look, I really think that you need to take a chance on mm-hmm. Jeff Emick. Yeah, I know he's, you know, this or that or, you know, any negative stuff that you might This He's, he's the guy. Yeah. And so at the time they, um, my dad, I think finally felt comfortable that it was time to cut the cord and have uh, Steve Butler as my mechanic, you know, Keith McCarty, Larry Griffiths, you know, all of the guys on the team to help guide me. Um, certainly was the right time and, and, uh, and we proved it by winning a championship a couple years later. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Huh? Um, which was incredible on that bike because, uh, you know, when I was at Yamaha, I spoke to uh, Bob Oliver about it and, he said that thing was not good, but you know they, they, what what they came up with, and maybe you can remember this. I don't know. I, I believe Bob told me that that bike had like a Suzuki ignition and a Honda piston, and you know enough enough bondo in the motor to to basically it was a brand new motorcycle, and the thing ripped. Do you remember it like yeah. that? Yeah, 
Yeah, the production bike was not good. Um, right. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of carburation problems. And, and But what we did is what we were supposed to do it, because racing, pro racing is an extension of research and development. And so we did our job is we went out and we researched and we developed a better way to build this engine. Um, you know, the rest of the bike was pretty good, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, suspension, chassis, all that stuff. Uh, graphics, of course, was awesome with the pink and the oh, orange yeah, and all that. Oh, yeah, magenta. But uh, yeah. um, it was really about the engine development and um, taking something that was uh, just really underpowered, had no low end, and once again, knowing, you know, with me having the desire to make it better and having the right people around, um, between Steve Butler, Bob Oliver, uh, I think we worked with uh, Bud Asklin um, yeah. at the beginning of that, um, you know, who did all of the road racing stuff with Roberts and all them, of coming up with some specs. And, I mean, we we went through a lot of cylinders, you know. And uh, by the end of the season that year, we really had a 125 that, that was great. So. Yeah, I remember watching you at Millville, and it sounded like no other bike out there. I'll never forget that. The finish line yeah. turn, I was standing there as a little kid, and uh, the thing sounded like nothing else out there, you know. And, of course, your bad boy's gear was flowing yeah. you know, with the barbed wire and the uh, – Yeah, that was awesome. Um, what was it like being uh, at Yamaha uh, with Bradshaw? I, I did one of these with him, and, and he said he hated you sometimes. Um, you know, he yeah. said the only guy well, he ever really liked was I wanted to stop you first, though, because okay. there was one extension, the, the one story that a lot of the people on the inside know, um, you know, friends of mine that I've told, but that YZ125, um, I think it was towards the end of uh, 91, maybe even 92 Supercross, um, somewhere around in there, uh, Steve Butler, my mechanic, decided that – He's like, you know what, I keep changing uh, the pilot jet on this thing, and it's not making any effect on it at all. Mm-hmm. So he soldered up the pilot jet, and we used only the main and the needle, and we developed what was what we called the monojet carburetor. <laughs> and so the monojet. That, nice. that bike that I won the championship on, and, and on those, those next few years, we used a carburetor that had no pilot jet. It was soldered up. Nice. Main jet, and we had this, the, the test bike had a pouch full of needles, right? All mm-hmm. these different needles that were recorded, where they worked, what temperature, what, you know, air yeah. density, all this. And we would file them down. If the thing was a little bit, you know, lean in a spot, Butler would get the little file out or Bob Oliver and, and we would, file. so the race team or the race bike had a set of needles and then the test bike had a set of needles. And that's what we used for a few years is the monojet carburetor. It was it re, I mean, yeah. totally custom. You know? God damn. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you this. I think I have. We may have been in a bar at the time, but I uh, I have your 92 motor here in my house. Oh, wow. um, they were When I was at Yamaha, they were throwing away motors, and we each got to keep one, and uh, I took your 92 motor. I have it in my garage. I don't know what else to do with it. But I, I need I need you to sign it or something. Sign the ignition. Yeah, cover. that'd be cool. I'm gonna bring it to a race. You can sign the ignition cover. I'll polish it all up and put it on my coffee table. Hey, hey, I bet peak horsepower right now. I bet that thing will, will <laughs> compete. But I'm sure it doesn't have the torque of uh, of the 250F. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely not. Uh, interesting story for that mono jet. I like that. Yeah, um, it was great. Man. So yeah, I did one of these with Bradshaw. And and he said at times he never liked you. He hated you. And, uh, and yeah. he, other times he tolerated it. What was it like being around him? Well, I mean, 
even though he's uh, like a year younger than me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was a lot more uh, mature and and uh, all that. And I looked up to him. Um, you know, I think that his uh, North Carolina country um, attitude and all that, and me being uh, the West Coast guy, I don't think that we jived all all the time. But right. there certainly was, uh, you know, the totem pole. You know, I was on the bottom looking up, and you know, it was. Uh, I mean, I remember going back and staying at the house, and uh-huh. when my you know initial times when I started training or trying to learn what that was all about. Uh, you know, was spent with him and Brian Lunas and the guys. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really looked up up to him. And, and when, what was it, the end of 93, uh, um, you know, he had won some races, but overall just a pretty rough year. You know, when he uh, right. retired, I mean, I was just crushed. It was like losing an older brother. Yeah. yeah, it was tough. Yeah, and when I say he hated you, I don't mean it like you specifically. He just, you know, he hated all the competition. You know what I mean? It wasn't anything that yeah. you did or whatever. But he did say you guys got into it a few times at the test track. You know, maybe you guys banging bars or something. I don't remember. But, yeah, it well, wasn't, I mean, wasn't nothing personal. That's the nature of the business, right? Yeah, I right. Mean, that's, I mean, uh, that's how it is. But, I mean, dude, there were things that he did on a motorcycle that uh, maybe only, you know, Stuart has amazed me. Uh, really? Yeah, there's... I mean, wow, that's saying I something. I don't yeah. want to take anything away from you know McGrath or Carmichael or anybody like that, mm-hmm. but there's an explosiveness that that I've only seen in Bradshaw and Stewart, where they just are fearless and there's there's just no hesitance at all. And um, yeah, the only two guys. Uh-huh. I mean, watching him ride a Supercross track back in the days was just mind blowing. You know. Yeah. And and. And when, uh, you know, when Damon went through what he did and losing the championship in 92, I mean, I was right there. I witnessed it all. And I I was just, man, I couldn't figure it out. You know, I wasn't mature enough to understand what was going on. And, uh, you know, I was real judgmental. Like, man, you know, why'd you quit on us? Yeah. You know, what happened? And fortunately, um, a few years back when we we did the Yamaha, um, the... uh, you know the fiftieth, um, yeah. You know anniversary, you know, or whatever, yeah. Stuff. Um, we got a chance actually at the Mandalay Bay after a big fiftieth anniversary celebration. We got a chance, you know, we we're drinking some beers and to just sit down and just kind of talk about this stuff, you know. And I got to tell him how much of a fan I was, you know, and how much <laughs> he was like, right. a, you know, like a mentor and a brother to me. And uh, you know, since then, I mean, we have just had some great times whenever we do any of the Yamaha functions and all that. Uh, it's just been great. So um, the fact that, you know, years later, you know, we're married with children and all this mm-hmm. stuff, that uh, we got a chance to talk about that. And, you know, now we have a great, you know, a great bond. One of the things he said to me was that, uh, you know, he got burnt out a little bit. He got hurt. And uh, he said, you know, Emig, Emig t- t- looked at everything like it was fun. Like, it was fun. There was no pressure. Um, you know, Damon had, I guess, a lot of pressure from everybody. Oh, and, yeah. And, and he said, Emig was always like, pressure? What pressure? I'm just here to have a good time. And, uh, he's, you know, he, he thinks that that may have helped you, you know, have a long career that you did. So, interesting. Well, for sure. I was just uh, <clears throat> reading um, the um, Eric Johnson story in the new Racer X um, about the Motocross of Nations in 92. Mm-hmm. And if you read Damon's comments, it 
all had to do with pressure. And I, I feel bad that, that everybody had put so much pressure on him at the time because that's really, that was his downfall. And I, I, I don't think that I've ever had that type of pressure. Um, and I certainly can't put myself in the position that he was in, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, but the, the the expectations and the pressure drove away one of our most talented riders that we've ever had. Well, you're going to see. And it shouldn't be that way. Right. And that's certainly not not how I lived my life and you know ran my career. Ah, uh, but later on in this podcast, I'm going to prove to you how you always rose up against the pressure. So that's going to come later on. Um, so I, I I dispute that. But uh, anyways, uh, okay. So '92, you win the title. Uh, we all. Well, a lot of us know the story. LaRocco had a big points lead. He had a series of mechanical misfortunes. At any point, did you did you think that you could win it? I mean, did you write it off at all? He had I don't remember the lead he had, but it was pretty big. Like eighty eighty six, really, or sixty eight, or yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it yeah, was, it was quite massive. A bit right after like high point. So were you just kind of just doing your thing and like whatever happens happens? When did you start being like, hey, I can, I can really win this thing? About the time I turned the final turn at Bus Creek and looked up and seen the checkered flag. Yeah, really, huh? Like a it, f- it, phenomenal comeback from for you. Well, it's just all about being in in the moment. And um, uh, Phil Jackson talks a lot about that in the, I believe it's the Sacred Hoops um, book that he wrote. Mm-hmm. And I was just in the moment. You know, I didn't look too far ahead. I was living every moment. I was present as it was all happening. And. Um, I, I never thought about the championship. It was about okay, what's the next goal? What's the next uh-huh. obstacle? And that's to win this race or win that race. And and uh, it was the first time that I'd really started, you know, started uh, training and doing these long bicycle rides and um, right. you know lifting and and really getting myself in you know you know in the proper shape. So um, it's kind of paying off was, for you, yeah. I, w- I was so driven that summer. You know, it's. Uh, um, yeah, it was close, but I don't think that I ever, ever really thought that I wasn't going to win it. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I think that any uh, athlete that you have to have that—not uh, even athlete. You know, if you um, if you tell yourself that you can't do it, then you're mm-hmm. going to be right. Yeah. But if you tell yourself that you can do it, then you then you definitely have a chance at being right. You know, so. Um, I just kept telling myself that I could do it, that it that it was mine, and yeah. it was like my destiny. It was really, really <laughs> a spiritual uh, spiritual summer for me. So. See, and that this is another point that I'm making. The pressure was on that last race, and I believe you went one one, didn't you? One one, yeah. Yeah. There was, so there was no way to win the championship <clears throat> without winning both motos. Right. So and having that mindset. I mean, I didn't fly my dad and sister and brother into the race. You know, in between those last two races. I mean, it was business as usual. I was out there riding at Glen Helen or Star West or, you right. know, wherever it was, like it was, uh, like there was no championship on the line. Uh, Butler and I did went through our same routine. Uh, Saturday morning, get up, take the bike out of the semi, take the Yamaha van, go find some place to ride, get our jetting right, get, you know, everything seated in. Um, just business as usual. Right. And the reason for that was that earlier that summer, when Bradshaw was up for the Supercross Championship, it there was a mindset that changed after uh, the second to last race, which was uh, you know, which was uh, San Jose. Mm-hmm. Um, like the championship was already won, and I felt it around Yamaha and around the race team and stuff. Really, and that mm-hmm. for us, 
between Butler and I, it was like, no, business usual. This thing isn't over till it's over. Yeah. Um, and it was, it's such a great position to be in to know that you have to win to win the championship because it's so clear, yeah. crystal clear. Want to win? Yeah. You know, want to win the championship? Win the race. And, um, you know, that was, that was, I mean, that day was, uh, it meant the world to me. Uh, you know, that it, it, it just seemed like that all that hard work and the sacrifice that my, uh, that my family and my dad, everybody had been through, um, that this was, uh, you know, this was the payoff. All worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, too, your dad, I used your dad's triple clamps in 99 with Ferry. Just want to throw that out there. Good triple clamps. Working out good. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, so, okay, so you win the title. You're uh, you're on top of the world. Rocco, I interviewed him for Racer X magazine and uh, asked him about his regrets, and he said, well, obviously that 92 title was tough to take. But, uh, uh, yeah. So you, you've haunted him forever. I'll let you know that. Uh, well, I mean, for every great, uh, you know, you know, victory, there is yeah. an agonizing uh, defeat, and I certainly have been on that side of it. Um, okay, so Yamaha, 95. You win your first Supercross, but it's the controversial Las Vegas lights-out race. Uh, some of the top guys uh, didn't want to race it. You ended up winning your first Supercross. Did it? Did it ring as being hollowed? What, what were your feelings about winning a race if some of the guys didn't uh, compete? How do you feel about that race? Oh, I mean, uh, for sure. I mean, yeah. at that time, if McGrath wasn't in the race, then then uh, you know there was there was uh, something missing. Mm-hmm. And, um, it wasn't about him being there and trying to okay. Well, now that he's not here, I'm going to go win one. You know, yeah. it was about um, doing what was right that day. Um, there was a lot of stuff that happened in the pits earlier in that day. Some random letters surfaced about. Mm-hmm. Riders union and boycotts and all this crazy shit, and then, ironically, they had a power failure, and right. um, a lot of the guys looked at it like that it was unsafe, and that's certainly I'm not going to uh, judge them. That's that was their thoughts. Um, a lot of people thought that it was a you know that by them not riding that it was some sort of a political statement. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the money wasn't there for us and. You know, there wasn't any championship fund and stuff like that. But, um, you know, thankfully, uh, Keith McCarty, my team manager, who, uh, you know, always has been uh, some of the most, uh, you know, some of the wisest, you know, advice, knowledge that I've been given. He says, look, if you think that by not riding tonight that you're going to force the different promoter groups to give you guys more money, he goes, you are, you're, you're wrong. <laughs> you're crazy. Goes, All you're going to do is piss them off. <laughs> right. Okay. We have a show to put on because the guys at Feld or SRO, Mickey Thompson Entertainment Group, uh, Pace, whoever, whoever it was, you know, yeah. uh, the West Brothers. They're they're all there to sell tickets and put on the show, and I see it differently now, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, than when I was an entertainer, um, but it, it made sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, Keith said, "Look, did you not work?" your ass off this week to still try to win a supercross he says well go out and win a supercross so i did i made like 50 grand dude right that was awesome yeah i won a supercross i got my name in the record books do i realize that larocco kadrowski um you know henry lamson mcgrath that they weren't in the race of course i did yeah but i didn't care about that yeah yeah okay yeah. and and what was great was that after the race um uh, Bill West came up and gives me a big hug. He's like so proud of me, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Man, thank you so much for riding." And 
you know, and all this. And I just looked at him and I said, dude, you got to get a points fund together for us. This is bullshit. He said, I will. <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah. I promise you I will. And and they did. Yeah. And if we hadn't have put on a show that night, it would have just pissed off the fans, pissed off the promoters. It would have been a, you know, mm-hmm. just a disaster. And so I did what I thought was right. The other writers did what they thought was right. We're all good now. Right. Um well, and not to mention, yeah, I mean, my number one concern would be the fans that paid, you know, back then 30 bucks a ticket or whatever to uh, to see to see Jeff Emig and McGrath and those guys. I mean, you're really kind of screwing them in in a way, trying to screw the promoters. You know what I mean? I, I see oh, both I mean, sides. We had, uh, yeah. you know, 25,000, 30,000 fans that night. Yeah. And, um, um, I see I'm both sure sides. That but... There's still, uh, you know, fans out there that will... <laughs> Um, you know, they, they talk to him today. Say, "Hey, man, that was awesome. I appreciated all of those guys racing." And 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 you know, we had uh, the makeshift lighting. You know, all of the generator lights that mm-hmm. they put up. And I looked at it and said, "Wow, you know, I just rode at Star West last Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah, for no for for no money, and the lighting was worse than this. You know, plus there was a bunch of novice guys on the track. So I looked at it like, "Hey, this is a great opportunity. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what's right for me." Well, good. Good. I always wondered about that. So, um, you there? Yeah. All, right. All right. Thought you hung up on me. Uh, so, okay. 95, you leave Yamaha. You get your first Supercross win. I don't remember how the outdoors went for you, but you leave, uh, you leave Yamaha and you, uh, you go to Cali. What's the, what's the, uh, what's the thought process behind that switch? Um, more money. Didn't like Yamaha anymore. Liked Cowie. What was the thinking there? Well, can't argue with I, it looking back. I at mean, it. I think I had uh, I had already started down a path that uh, you know, with my personal life and stuff, that uh, Keith McCarty wasn't really um, endorsing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If that made any sense, I like that. Uh, that started you know, down a path, <laughs> and um, yeah, it was just time for a change. You mm-hmm. know, it just it just wasn't jiving, and. Um, um, Roy Turner from uh, Factory Kawasaki calls and, and is really excited about getting me on the team. You know, he was, uh, uh, you know, Kadrowski and, you know, and uh, LaRocco were out, and he wanted to start with a whole new fresh team. Yep. And so here I come, you know, full circle once again, riding for the same guy that they really didn't want me back in 90. Yep. Um, but it was the right time. And I just remember meeting at uh, Kawasaki late one night with my business manager, uh, Dave Stevenson. Um, I signed the best deal that I had ever signed for the most money, the most bonuses, and we were in Roy's office. And I remember, we, you know, I signed the contract, and he just sits back in his chair, like, you know, slaps the table. Um, like, I can't believe we just signed Jeff Emick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, really? Because Keith McCarty doesn't feel the same way. Yeah, you're like, I can't believe I just signed this contract. <laughs> yeah, Keith McCarty would be saying the same thing, but he'd be like, oh, shit, I can't believe we just signed Jeff again. <laughs> Hitting his uh, forehead with his hand. <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, so. So there was no offer from Yamaha? Like, yeah, oh, oh yeah. there was? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was. It was, uh, you know, offers were basically even. It was just, uh, yeah. it was just, just the right. Time you know, the right place for me. I needed a change. I needed a fresh start again. And, uh, you know, Kawasaki, as they've been throughout my whole career, just like Yamaha has been also, um, they've always been there for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we continued on with the, with the history of what would be my team green rides. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. You're right. Coming back full circle. What was the uh, deal getting J-Bone as your mechanic? How did that come about? That was a real obviously prosperous relationship but at the time um 
you know, I was starting to get into the scene then as, as a mechanic, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like, hey, where'd this guy come from? Well, I mean, Steve Butler was my first choice, but um, as we found, you know, Steve is a lifer at uh, Yamaha, mm-hmm. and that with most most of the mechanics, you know, they need to stay put for their security and, you know, all of that sort of stuff because they're the employees of the company. Um, so I was really disappointed that I wasn't going to work, work with Steve anymore. Um Ron Wood was, um, uh, you know, was slated to be my mechanic. Mm-hmm. They talked with Danny Bentley, if I remember correctly. Uh, uh, well, six time, you're going to steal six times, guy. Yeah, a bunch of guys, and um, and uh, Wood was going to be my mechanic. And then I, I think there was some uh, personal issues, uh, some family, something went down that he mm-hmm. said, "No, I'm out." Yeah. And um, Roy really wanted somebody with some experience, you know, like a Brian Lunas type. And it just wasn't there. Nobody wanted to work for me, I guess. <laughs> and um, Come on. Um, Jeremy Albrecht was, had been with uh, North County Yamaha working on uh, Pedro Gonzalez's bikes for a long time. You know, we had been friends for a number of years. And it just, something just said, you know what, take a chance with him and, and uh, give him an opportunity. And um, so we got him the deal, yeah. Yeah, but you had known him forever. Yeah, I've done yeah. it since like '89. Right, right, right. So, yeah, that was a, that was a good uh, good deal. Uh, so '96 comes, and you can see you're starting to get a hold of things. You're starting to figure it out. Starting to be a, a real. Um, oh, you know what I want to talk to you about? I just realized that's in my notes. What about that brawl with Larocco and Pontiac in '94 or something? What happened oh, there? Oh, you're gonna have to. You're going to have to pinpoint it there because there was a lot more than that. Okay, yeah. There was some gnarly motocross action did a big, uh, you know, is this wrestling or is this supercross? The axis of evil stuff. Yeah. I know that was much later. But, uh, well, I mean, the one thing that sticks out in my mind is the, is uh, San Diego in 93. Uh-huh. Um, I had been sick all week. I get a good start as usual. If I remember correctly, McGrath was way out front as usual. Yeah. Um, Mike Craig was in second, but he was on his way back. And uh, Mike Craig got was, tired. No. Yeah, I was. I was in third, and so LaRocco was coming through the pack as usual. <laughs> and you know, we were both looking at getting a podium finish. Right. And it was super muddy that day. I was just pumped that I was going to get a bonus. You know, make some money, have a good ride. Right. And he jumps on top of me going into this turn, and um, you know, just totally crushes me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got up and I and I kicked him in the. In the <laughs> <laughs> and that tells you how tough the guy is, dude. Yeah, I kicked him in the ribs with my boot as hard, hard as you could, <laughs> and he still got up and wanted to kick my ass. <laughs> so uh, you can see that after that, um, the '92 championship, and then that, there really wasn't going to be a lot of a lot of good moments uh, between the two of us, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I pulled off the track, and his dad's like, you know, like probably threw the pit board at me or something crazy, you know, yeah. and I stop, of course, and I'm, and I remember, you know, telling his dad some stuff that I, I'd rather not talk about right now, but, and his dad grabs me, um, grabs me by my hand and, like, twists my arm, like, practically breaks my arm, like, twists me yeah, yeah. off the bike, <laughs> and maybe, like, Mark Johnson or somebody from Team Green like, uh-huh. grabs us and pulls us apart, and jumps him, and <laughs> yeah, you know, I was just so bummed, because here, we, we only had a few laps left in this race, I'm mm-hmm. going to get a podium, I'm going to make some money, and, you know, Mike had jumped on me, and of course, I was probably blocking him or cutting over, you know, right, yeah, it ain't, no. No, it ain't no new thing that we're going to learn right now, but, um, and then he comes into the Yamaha truck. Um, Mike does. And he, 
yeah. Marsh is in the truck, and I just remember he stepped in, and I was kind of at the back of the deal, and I was like, here it comes, dude. This is when I get punched right yeah, now. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, you know, you effing kicked me. And I was just like, yeah, you you know, you deserve you it. Clean you clean know, me out. Think it. Right. And, you know, neither one of us are ever going to beat McGrath if we do this stuff. You know, the goal mm-hmm. wasn't for for me to beat him or him to beat me. We were all chasing Jeremy. Right. And this didn't help anyone, you know. And so we, you know, we kind of had it out. Um, maybe Roy Jansen or, uh, you know, somebody from the AMA brought us in and had a talk with us and tried to air it out. And they're like, well, okay, what's the problem? And both of us are like, there's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I, it's, this is the nature of it. You know, your age and your, you know, desire to win races and trying to, you know, Right. Just uh, you know, work your way through it. So it's you know, it's ironic now that you know he's doing what he's doing with the uh, with the factory factory uh, connection team, and mm-hmm. you know my involvement here at Fox, and you know the connection there. I'm sure that we're gonna um, you know actually be uh, you know working together on yeah. some level uh, this year. So you're like, hey, Mike, you might want to run our chest protector in case one of your guys gets kicked in yeah. the ribs. A rib protector. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, you know, we're all we're all yeah. past that now. I mean, what's ironic is that his last child is about a month older than mine, mm-hmm. uh, than my little boy, and they're both named Jagger. So yeah, we've we've found some common ground. But I I think you're being I think there was more to it in San Diego. There was a few episodes, wasn't there? Who knows? There was okay. There was, there was right. a lot of stuff. I mean. You know, I always got the start. He was always coming from behind. I was trying to block my way to a good. You were finish. tired. He was trying to, <laughs> yeah. He was trying to get by, and you know, I mean, I just remember him. You know, whenever he passed me, it was like take me all the way to the highest hay bale. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Pivot there. You know, there was a number of times where we were, our bikes were laying on each other, and we were both, you know, stuck in between them. So, right. Okay. It, you know, and and I think that what McGrath did that was just brilliant is that when he came through. He didn't get caught up in any of that. He didn't mm-hmm. get caught up in that Larry Ward, Matasevich, Kudrowski, Bradshaw, you know. You, LaRocco, ego error. Me, yeah. LaRocco. <laughs> he, um, he just raced in a different way, and, and I really learned something from that. You know, it took me a while to really understand it, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I think you're right. I've heard that from a, from a few riders during these, during these podcasts, uh, uh, interesting that you that you back that up. Okay, so let's fast forward back to the '96 uh, season. Uh, Jeremy runs the table, except one man puts an end to the streak. St. Louis. Wow. Who oh, was that? Oh, that would be you, Jeff Emig. Oh, me. And uh, I remember watching the Motor World highlights. He was all over you uh, at the end, um, but you held him off. And uh, but who was in there mixing it up? Larocco. He actually had a chance to win that. That's thing. right. He was leading. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Okay. Talk about St. Louis for you. How was that? That was a straight up win. No doubt about that. No lights going turned off or anything. No, that was. Um, no, I, I I really felt that season that I uh, that I had improved my Supercross riding. Our bike was getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, my fitness was, was getting better, my mindset, all that. And there was a couple of races that year that I just gave away. I mean, I, you know, Indianapolis, I, I think, was one, maybe Tampa, something that I really felt like that I that I had a chance to win it um, and didn't. Mm-hmm. And everything just kind of, you know, like they say, all the stars aligned that night and uh, that kind of Midwestern hometown feel of the race uh, just came together and, and uh you know my heat race went great that night uh 
the you know the track design was good. The mm-hmm. whoops were all beat up, where you just jumped through them. You know, you didn't really have to skim them. Yeah. You know, I, I just wasn't good when it was like that. Um, when you had to skim them, you weren't good. No. Oh, when no, you not good at all. Right, so, right. um, it just had that had that vibe. You know, it was like okay, tonight's the night. And uh, I mean, what I mean, what sort of pressure could that have been uh, for him? You know. Yeah. Um, and I think that as as much as he was disappointed, I, I think that there was a uh, relief to um, mm-hmm. at at the time. I mean, I'm sure now how it's all gone down that you know to have an unbeaten uh, Supercross season would be uh, you know pretty incredible to have on the resume. But yeah. it didn't go down like that, and it was uh, it was it was really special to me because I mean even the next week I was like I don't even care how I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> You know, we went to Denver, and I think I got a third or something. I just rode around. I wasn't even interested in it. You yeah. know, I was ready to, to get on the motocross. Yeah, I was there at Denver. They had the award ceremony on that flatbed trailer. That was awesome. Yeah, that was great. I think they brought flatbed pe- trailer, hot dogs. I think they brought Pizza Hut in, if I remember Pizza, right. Pizza, yeah. yeah. Well, times have changed. So you know. Just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. So, and again, here's another reason, Fro, why I think you're full of crap when you say that you you know you didn't handle that pressure or you didn't have that pressure. 96 outdoors, so we've already chronicled 92, where you had to win to win the title. 96 outdoors, McGrath's winning, comes up short at Millville, hurts himself. Uh, I did one of these with him again, and he was saying that uh, you know he, he wishes he never did that. He pulled out Washugo, you got the points lead. But he gave you full credit in the fact that at Steel City, McGrath was you know close to 100% or 100%. And it came down to who who was going to be the guy that day. And again, Jeff Emig rises to the occasion and wins the outdoor title. Um, so another reason why I say Jeff Emig comes up under pressure, uh, despite what you said. So what do you what do you remember from that season, like from when McGrath got hurt and uh, from there? Well, certainly had uh, developed uh, some momentum. You know, fitness was good. Bike was just awesome. And... Um, he he got hurt and it opened the door, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and he got hurt towards the end, end of the series. Um, there were some motos at the beginning of the series that I had that weren't so good, you know. But you you tend to forget about the ones um, on you know in the beginning and right. focus on the end. I think that you know that's just the nature of the you know of the timing and all that. But um, once again, the momentum was there, and it's like, dude, I'm going to win this. And I just there was never a doubt in my mind. And uh, we went to. We went to Binghamton, and he won both motos right. the next race. And I was like, shit, okay. <laughs> now he's not as hurt yeah. as what I was hoping he was going to be, right? Um, and and I had a really good ride at Binghamton. I went 2-2. I had to pass Albertine on the last lap to put myself into a tie-in. If I, I believe it was a tie-in points going in, into the final race. Yeah, but I thought you were ahead by a couple, but anyways, yeah. No, I don't, no? I don't think so. Okay. But the point was is that have to win both motos right. to win the championship. Exactly. If we tie in best, points, best man wins. If we tie in points, he wins because he's won more overalls and mm-hmm. more motos. So I'd been there before. I'd been through that. I knew what I had to do that week. I knew the mindset that I had to have, um, and it just came down to it. Yeah, that was that one was uh, man. I I just remember the fans just 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 being so into it. You know, mm-hmm. it was. Um, yeah, you know, got to get the whole shot, got to win. Any, any two two things really stand out about that day is is that in practice uh, I was chasing Jeremy around and I looped out coming out of this turn and ripped my rear fender off. Oh yeah, 
really embarrassing. Right. You're like, hey, and check me, check me out. Truck, <laughs> you know, got got the ride of shame going. <clears throat> get back to the Cowie rig, and I, I mean, I was even talking with Jaybone about this a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, dude, I don't know what happened, but the throttle stuck. <laughs> so I got Cowie like ripping the throttle off yeah, the yeah. cable, new carburetor, going through everything. You know, and then after the race, after I won the championship, you know, I owned up and admitted to Jeremy and everybody else that I that the throttle didn't really stick. I was just embarrassed and and uh, you know that I looped out. So, <laughs> see, as as a former mechanic, I'm not happy yeah. with you right now, Emig. He's like, dude, you made us go through so much extra right, work. Right, right. But um, anyways, <laughs> there the one moment where the championship was won was on the first lap, you go into the pro section, go over that big double, make that tight left, mm-hmm. and uh, Jeremy passed me. And then I, like, squared it back up, and it's it's still like that now, where you make that right-handed sweeper, a little drop-off, and then a big jump. And a big, you know, big double. And I was the first time, maybe ever in my career, where I was just like, you know, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. I, and, and, and I just held the throttle wide open, and I just completely over-jumped that thing, practically landed on him. Um, you know, landed in these mud ruts. Yeah. And it was, if you think about it, like a like a tug of war. He he pulled the rope to his side, and I just had this one last gasp of like, you know, this urgent thing. Like, no, wait a second, this championship's mine. Yeah. And I took it back right then. And then he, I kept him behind me um, every lap that moto, and and um, every lap of the of the final moto. Yeah. But that for that moment was when the championship was won, mm-hmm. not at the checkered flag. Interesting that you can remember that in, in, in vivid detail too, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he he straight up was like, yeah, Emig Emig beat me that day, you know. And so, just another reason Emig that you came up under pressure. Uh, so okay, so there we go. So going into '97, that was the uh, that was the season for you. That was a dream season. Emig uh, MC switches to uh, Suzuki. Uh, a little bit uh, not prepared, and I and I remember that season playing out. First half of the Supercross season, it was almost anybody's race. You, oh, yeah. Henry, MC. Uh, I remember. Was Albie on it or somebody was Albie, on it? Albie uh, might have won a race. Yeah, uh, uh, it was anybody's it was, uh, race, uh, and, and near the end, won some races, won a couple. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that was it. It yeah. was uh, pretty balanced. You know, I think there were six different winners that year. Um. I mean, for sure, with Jeremy switching to a Suzuki and, you know, everything that had gone down with Honda, um, that that worked for me because now he was on a bike that wasn't, you know, uh, proven, wasn't a superior bike like what the Hondas were mm-hmm. at, at the time. I mean, they really had it together. And, uh, you know, I mean, he made the choice to go ride that thing, and I remember um, just going, okay, wow, here's an opportunity. Yeah. And, uh even with that opportunity, uh, I still won five races. He won two races and still almost won the championship. Mm-hmm. And that bike was a pile, you know. So, um, you know, there was uh, Doug. You know, Doug Henry was in the he was in the mix until uh, Houston. Um, Broke it was, his, uh, uh, it was yeah. a close championship. I mean, never did I feel comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember you ever dominating it, but near the end, I mean, your Dallas ride certainly was it. Was it all muddy in Dallas? What? Yeah, I think it was all muddy yeah, in Dallas. Yeah, I, mean, I look back as far as uh, St. Louis, where um, I crashed on a practice day. I had the bike bog on me, and I came up short on this double, and I thought that I broke my femur, and I had this massive bruise on my quadriceps. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even sure that I could ride. 
um, and I ended up with a second or third that night. So I had to ride through some pain. Right. The ne- next week uh, probably was Detroit, you know, uh, Pontiac. Rode through some pain there, maybe got a fifth or sixth. Um, the next race was uh, Charlotte. Um, actually, if I remember correctly, I got like a fourth or something there, and Jeremy finished uh, behind me or maybe just in front of me. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, once again, I had to – the fourth wasn't great, but it was points. Yeah. And then we came into Dallas, and uh, I remember flying in, and it was raining, mm-hmm. and the attitude was right. And I talk about this on the broadcast. When it rains, it's all about your attitude. You mm-hmm. got to want to be here. You got to look at it like the you know this is an opportunity. Glass is half full, type of thing. And uh, I was like, let it rain. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care. Keep raining. That's that's working in, in my favor. And I was just you know I had ridden in the Midwest on that type of hard clay. I'd grown up riding that, that, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. And uh, practice and all that. I just had the time of my life. I mean, I just <laughs> wanted to be there. Uh-huh. I, I just looked at it like such an opportunity and um, just had an incredible main event. I won by like 30 or 45 seconds, you know. I right. was doing the Doug Henry thing where I was jumping the triple in the mud when nobody else was. And and it really just amounted to having the right attitude. And, and um you know, that was, to me, the championship was won that night. Right. That's how I remember it, too. As I said, I was on the scene then as a mechanic, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, he, he you know, this thing's his. He's the man tonight, you know, and it was all sloppy and shitty and, and stuff. So, um, Yeah, but you remember, I mean, just as I was talking about how I loved the situation of going into the final race, knowing that you have to win to win. Uh-huh. Cut. Going in that week after Vegas was, uh, it was the worst week of my life. Oh, really? You can't blow it. Yeah. You can't blow it. Right. You can't, you know, have this day like Bradshaw did where you're just not there. I mean, I'd seen all this stuff, <laughs> and I'd never been in this situation. Yeah, right. Time. I was going to say, first time for you, yeah. Oh, and the track at, you know, Vegas is hard pack and yeah. dry and slick and everything's sharp and pointed, and mm-hmm. the whoops were crumbly, hot. Yeah. peaked and it was just it was a horrible situation to have to go through and it was such a relief to cross the finish line and if you watch the footage I mean I roll over the finish line and I look back and I remember it took me a second to even realize mm-hmm. that I had won the championship yeah and um, I just do a little a little fist pump I was like yes yes and then I look up and I see everyone cheering for Doug Henry, you know, because he yeah. had won the race that night. Four stroke, yeah. And there was a split second where I thought, wait a second. <laughs> Did Doug Henry win the championship? Yeah, yeah. Like, you can't believe it. Like, you're just like, what? Because I, could, I never thought that I would win the Supercross championship. And it took me a while. I'm on the podium. You know, Rhino and everybody are spraying champagne. And actually, mm-hmm. Bradshaw was there that night. He made the podium that night. Mm-hmm. And I remember him specifically coming over going, hey, you know, you know, I don't like you much, but he's like in the southern draw. No, he didn't really it. say that. Good. He didn't. Re- he didn't really say that to he, you. I, I, <laughs> hey, you could ask him, but I think he says he's like, you know, you know, I don't like you much, but goddamn it, good job, dude. Right, right. <laughs> and there was like a respect that I had earned from him that that night. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until. Uh, I was back at the Kawasaki truck, you know, and we had been spraying champagne. Mm-hmm. Everyone's there, and we're selling T-shirts and number one plates and all this stuff. And I was up and you know up and uh, you know up in the rider area, and uh, Bruce comes up um, with a couple of Budweisers in his hand, sets uh-huh. one down, 
and he he like reaches over and like you know grabs my leg and it's like dude you did it and that was the point when i like woke up i was like in this total funk yeah that was the point when i went wow <laughs> i just won the supercross championship i'm Holy mother smoke i'm mother effing supercross mind, champion like an hour after the checkered right, flag right yeah it was it was uh, you know kind of a surreal moment so ah uh. You talk about your uh, your personal life a little bit back in the Yamaha days. Was it was it still going on? Were you still burning a candle kind of at both ends, even in this oh, yeah. championship season? Until, I mean, yeah. Okay, so because you know what, I did one of these with Stevenson, as you can see. I done one of these with just about everybody but you, and uh, you know he said that you guys would go at it pretty good, but six seven in the morning, Jeff Emig would be out running. You know, uh, yeah. everybody else would be hung over and laying around. But he said somehow, amazingly, you were able to get your work done, you know, off the track, but still uh, have a good time. So uh, he always admired you for that. And uh, well, it certainly didn't have a lot of a lot of longevity to it. You know, mm-hmm. when you think about um, you know uh, recovery and you know. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, sustaining that level um, it certainly proves that it can't be done that way. So, well, I was thinking, you know, you must be thinking, wow, I'm doing all this off the track, but yet I'm still winning. I'm the Supercross champion. You know what I mean? Like in your mind, you're like, I'm good, right? Like the results yeah. are there. Yeah. And uh, was it the '97? Did you get the bus then, or was it '98 when you got the bus? No, '97. I uh, won the motocross championship that year. Was, yeah. uh, we're really on cruise control. That was. I remember you just dominating. Yeah. Who was '97 was to go back to back, or you know to go back to back motocross championships, um, supercross and motocross in one year. Really, after I won the championship that summer, um, it was I was lost. There was no goal after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the only disappointment of that whole span was by us not winning uh, the motocross of nations in Belgium in '97. Mm-hmm. It was a real heartbreaker for me because I took that one. I took you know, really took that, um, well, yeah. took it, uh, personal. And then after that was when the wheels, uh, just, I mean, I won bear seed later on that year and, yeah, and all that. But, uh, um, I had reached all of my goals uh-huh. and I hadn't, I hadn't reset them. And so, um, I mean, yeah, aside from was, a 125 uh, supercross title, you won everything there was to win, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have 500s by the time I no. got there, but um, yeah, it was just uh, that was that was the end of it because there was there was no motivation after that. So, really, there really wasn't. If you were huh? talking about cutting this into two parts. Now would be the place to do it. Yeah, no, I want to. I think we should because I want to get your take on the riders of today and and, and as a fan and as an analyst. So um, let's do it. Let's do two parts, and we'll we'll end up at the end of '97. Your uh, your 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 motocross champion. You dominated. You wear black in a hundred degree weather. Still go one one. Um, so yeah, nice place to uh, to wrap it up. I think. What do you think? All right. Well, I thank everybody for listening to this one. And uh, part two, we'll uh, we'll uh, tackle that. Yeah. Sounds after this. Yeah. Sounds good, Fro. Thanks, man. And uh, I'll be in touch. All right. Sounds good. Bye. All right. Here's part two of the 2008 Classic. With Jeff Emig, for some reason, I thought it would be cool if I just called him at Fox Racing where he was working at the time, and uh, we just seamlessly pick it up into part two. All right, flyracing.com, 2008 Classics with the great Jeff Emig. Here we go. Thanks.
Thank you for calling Fox. How may I help you? Hi there. Can I speak to uh, Jeff uh, Fro Emig? One moment. Fro Daddy. Hey, are we on again? We are. Part two. Part two. Uh, it's like a like a movie sequel. Um, well, thanks for being on the Racer X podcast show once again. <clears throat> I appreciate you doing this uh, part two. We left off. It was getting dark, Fro. It was. Yeah. Getting... Well, I I don't see this as. Uh, hopefully, this isn't like the Godfather saga <laughs> where part two is uh, you know twice as long and gets really weird and everything so yeah no but no there, but, but there might be some flashbacks in here yeah yeah like like star wars was upbeat you know that the rebels were good and everyone won at the end empire strikes back han got frozen a lot of bad shit happened in empire strikes back this might be the empire strikes back of jeff emig's career yeah if you yeah. follow that at all <laughs> yeah i'm with you uh okay 97 you uh, you dominate the nationals. You win the supercross. You dominate the nationals. You wear black, all black shift gear in the hottest days, which which had to you know, which was just awesome to see. Uh, you know, you weren't scared. So at the end of '97, like you said, you had no goals. Everything was done. You'd won almost every title there was to win, uh, except for 125 supercross. And so, is that where kind of things started getting unhinged at the end of '97? Yeah, for sure. I um, like I stated at the end of part one is that you know I I had reached all my goals and yeah. I uh, and that was uh, really as far ahead as I looked and and I mean when I look back now that's that really was a problem is I didn't you know reset everything and focus I was just coasting you know using the uh, you know uh, the momentum of the last couple of years mm-hmm. um, on into uh, Supercross and. You know, to be honest with you, coming into Supercross in 2008, um, uh, I mean, I I was just as fast as what I had ever been. I was as strong as I had ever been. I was I was ready to go win again. Yeah, that's why I was I was wanted to ask you about that because you were doing good in the off season, and you know you look good at some of the races, but man, there were rumors that you you know like your uh, you flew in some F14 jets and you had some equilibrium problems your eyesight was a pro- I mean there's all these rumors you know how there things go there was some go. weird stuff going on I, c- I can't tell you it, it, you know really there's no definitive evidence that that but you know after I flew in that uh, in that military jet you know really I don't know I mean it's not like I'm going to make an excuse for it no 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 but it you're being like serious it hard really to, yeah it, it was just hard to uh to just get focused, you know, hell, it could mm-hmm. have been, you know, the lifestyle that I was leading. Who knows? You know, I, yeah. I'm not going to, like, blame it on something. The bottom line is that coming into the into the first race, I had no doubt in my mind that I was going to win it. I actually led at the L.A. Coliseum. Yeah. And I had, and actually when uh, uh, Tortelli passed me, he came from, like, 19th to first. Mm-hmm. And I thought that he was a lapper. And I'm like, what, I'm not even worried about this guy. Yeah. Because I thought he was down. Yeah. And hell, he ended up winning the race, <laughs> and I was really pissed, you know. And uh, the next the next week, we went to Houston, and I got a third. And then it was like, hmm, all of a sudden, like the lug nuts dude are just breaking off. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, maybe the third or fourth race of the season. We're in Seattle, um, 
I whole shot of the main, got a 14th. I never fell. And yeah, you faded. Yeah, I remember. I just was mentally. That's when it all unraveled right then. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then it went downhill fast. I mean, I'm the only Supercross champion uh, in the history of the sport that has failed to win an event after winning the championship. So that's the crown that. Uh, wow. Definitely. Uh, right up there one of my records <laughs> yeah exactly uh, like, wow really is that me oh i'm that guy yeah oh, no you uh you didn't even make the top 10 in the points the next year uh so yeah what 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 was it was it was it confidence was it partying i mean looking back what what made you suck that year fro i wasn't driven i yeah, didn't have just, a goal okay. i wasn't focused and then about the time that daytona came around mm-hmm. i was really looking forward to it because i think that i had a way to win Daytona mm-hmm. um, that people didn't look at it from this viewpoint. Um, and I came into Daytona just really um, on fire. I, you know, it was starting to warm up again. I was looking forward to the Outdoor Nationals. Yeah. Um, and uh, in the heat race, I won my heat race, and I planned on winning the main event. Um or maybe I battled with MC in my heat race, something like that. People, people forget too. Daytona back then was gnarly, rough, yeah, outdoorish was, Daytona. I mean, it was yeah, yeah. And I was fully prepared for it. Um, really had a good vibe going, like like I'm going to be able to, uh, you know, you know, uh, to actually win this event. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I injured my my back, my um, like in between uh, my shoulder blades. Mm-hmm. I strained the ligaments. And in between the heat race and the main event, I mean, my neck and my back and my shoulders and everything just completely locked up on me. And it was something that I dealt with for um, a month or so after that. Um, you don't know what you, you don't eventually know what, why I bowed out of the series. You don't know what you did to do it? Just a crap? Yeah. Was it? Um, I strained the ligaments around my spine. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and it and it definitely happened in you know it happened in the heat race. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I did a lot of therapy and stuff to uh, to get back uh, just before the nationals, mm-hmm. where I was doing like these, you know, like um, uh, what was it like this? Uh, what do you call it? Like um, you know, therapy, like where they like where they know, put like, the, um, the little jackhammer thing on you or something your, yeah. into your uh, into your ligaments and all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was pretty painful and and just a really bad time and then that time off really wasn't good you know just um, <laughs> yeah. i didn't use it as wisely as i should have right uh were you were you did you re-sign after 97 or were you still under contract how did the money wa- no, i had a, i had a, i had signed a two-year deal yeah okay so 98 yeah. you were in your last year your deal no no oh. uh, 98 99. oh after 97 so what's going on there at fox racing no they're partying in here it's birthday time for somebody uh is beaker there uh, tell Beaker I said hi. Yeah, but he's he's working. Oh yeah, of course. Um, so not at the end of '97, man, you your your '98 '99 contracts, you killed it. I mean, that had to have been the most financially rewarding for you, with the most amount of money coming in, and then some time yeah. off. Maybe didn't help. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we had a, uh, you know, the contract was solid. Was happy with bonuses and the money that I was making and all that and uh you know things were all things were all pretty good but mm-hmm. there really were you know you know things were really unraveling in my personal life you know I was just uh spending a lot more time out at night than I was um you know yeah really focusing and this is where the you know burning the candle at both ends 
where it started to take its toll, you know. And and in '98, uh, I I uh, came back and won uh, a few of the nationals. Yeah. Uh, and then I injured were, my thumb were... at uh, Millville. Well, that was my going to be one of my questions. Was what would have happened? Yeah. You were on fire. You were catching. I believe Dowd. Who are you catching? Henry? Henry. Yeah. You were catching Henry big time on fire. The old fro was back. It came out of nowhere at Redbud where you went 1-1. One, one. Um, what would have happened if you hadn't hurt your thumb? You might have won well, that title and a I whole lot of closed, things could have changed. Yeah, I, I think I would have closed in on the points, but I, I don't think that you could have counted on some uh, mm-hmm. some sort of uh, you know thing happening again like it did in 92 and 96 where well, I was going to pick up. Uh, were you that far back? It was about forty points or thirty points down. Yeah, okay. um, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I was just worried about winning all all of the races and mm-hmm. proving that in the second half of the season that I was the fastest guy. But you know, in, in you know, I still um, it probably would have just uh, delayed the inevitable, really. Right. You know, with yeah, yeah. with what was going on personally. So. Um, too many nights at Club Rubber, as Denny Denny would tell us. Yeah, it just seemed like uh, it was just hard to get out of that, out of that mode, you know. And, right. Uh, yeah, just a lot of things pulling me in the wrong uh, direction. No matter how, you know, how I tried to make uh, the right decisions, I kept making the wrong decisions. So. Um, let me ask you this: uh, How, at the height of uh, at the height of everything, how bad was it between you and MC? I mean, I know there was stuff like some girl stuff off the track, and there was a lot of rumors and things going on i mean did you guys ever like had a big dislike of each other i mean did it get pretty gnarly sure i mean yeah i mean nothing that wasn't civil that if we you know seen each other it was you know it's not like we're gonna start a big brawl between the two mm-hmm. of us but yeah i mean it certainly um at at times um has been worse than others but yeah you know, we're actually uh, we're on uh, pretty good terms right now. So, right, right. you know, I have a lot of respect for him and and what he's done. You know, and a lot of respect for who he is. And and um, I, you know, he has you know reciprocated that. And, uh, so yeah, we're all good. Funny, funny how that works. Uh, years later, huh? Like when you guys are all done and and uh, you know you're out of the deal and and all that. Uh, you can you know Jeremy's one of the coolest guys around. As as is you. And you know why why wouldn't you be friends? You know what I mean? So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the the competition thing is tough, you know. Right. And, and um, you guys it are... just, uh, I mean, it's it's odd because a guy like Doug Henry or John Dowd or somebody, um, you know, had a tremendous amount of uh, you know uh, respect for them also, and just seemed to get along with them better. And it, it wasn't like our battles were, you know, like like they were, you know, like they were any different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just uh, with me and MC, we're both here on the West Coast, you know, kind of on our, you know, on each other's turf. But, yeah. you know, all of yeah. our friends have always been really close, and we've, you know, we go enjoy the same activities and things like that, and we're all good. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, with the competition and stuff the way that it was, you know, it was just a little, there's just always a little friction there. Um, and, you know, thankfully now that we're, you know, both nearing 40, all that's starting to dissipate, and, and it's all cool, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's good to so. see. So um, you seem like a rider that when your confidence is there, 
you're unbeatable, but it's it, it's like a teeter totter. It's really close to, to oh, yeah. losing the confidence, and then you, your results would plummet. You, you agree with that? Was it just? Oh, well, totally. Yeah, like you that's were what just it's all about is confidence, and that's just, why yeah. you know that's why MC just kicked my ass in the beginning of Supercross. I mm-hmm. just really had a hard time building my confidence, and Supercross is all about confidence. You're leaning over the front of the bike. You're, uh, you know, everything seems uh, pretty risky, you know, gnarly jumps and rhythm sections and all that. And um, the guys that excel in Supercross have a lot of confidence in themselves. And even if they have a bad day, they still believe that they can win. And that's how I was in motocross. Mm -hmm. But in Supercross, it was a real struggle for me. I just think about, like, your 98 season where you were struggling, struggling, struggling. You come out at Redbud, and you go 1-1 at one of your favorite tracks or the favorite track that you have. And... Nobody could stop you. Your confidence was back, and that was it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like you radically changed training or riding techniques. It just you, you knew you could win, and that was it. It was curtains for everybody else, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that um, – I, I mean, I feel real fortunate that I look back and, I mean, I feel that that I had – have my uh, destiny in my own hands, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't think that every rider can honestly say that, but that if I got my shit together, that I, I feel that I could beat everybody yeah. any day. That's a good and, point. And, yeah. uh, but it amounts to getting your, you know, getting your act together. So. Right. So, uh, uh, 99, uh, another miserable year. 99, actually, probably looking back on it from the outside, might have been your, uh, your, your, your darkest year, yet your most fulfilling year. And the reason is, uh, you get fired from, from Kawasaki, and uh, Bruce Sternstrom told me a hilarious story about that in the only way that Bruce can. Um, you get fired from Kawasaki, but then you win the U.S. Open on a, out of a pickup truck, which was, you know, one of the, still one a of van. the... A rented van. Oh, a van. Okay, a rental van. Clarify, I had, a, I had a tour bus and a rented van, yeah. Which is still one of the coolest stories around, you know, yeah. as far as, uh, as just being a privateer guy. Uh Talk about 99 uh, season for you. I mean, more personal life stuff going on and just more of the same sort of mediocre results for a guy like yourself, right? Yeah, well, I'm still waiting for uh, Hollywood to write the screenplay on that. Yeah, yeah um, I know. Huh? On that uh, uh, situation. But, you know, for sure in 99 just was really making a lot of bad choices, uh, trying to get it together, just um, – it wasn't working. It didn't help help none any that the that the bike that we had, um, the uh, the ninety nine Cowie, we had um, a lot of chassis problems with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uh, as we, I think it really really manifests itself in Supercross. Um, the thing just was not right, you know. And it's it's things that it's things that happen. I mean, you know. I mean, every company goes through it mm-hmm. um, every now and then. You know, no company is immune to it. But And as a race team, you're, you know, you're paid to ride that thing. You can't ride right. something else or whatever. And and, um, and so we were going through a real transition with with the KX250. It was a, it was a tough year. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carmichael was a 250 Supercross guy, uh, Damon Huffman, and myself, I mean, the only podium that we got in Supercross, I got a third at the Vegas round. That was the only podium of the year. Yeah. And um, then when we got to Glen Helen and we had to ride that bike at uh, at a much higher speed, uh, then we figured, okay, wait, something, something just isn't right here. Um, and we struggled with it all, you know, we struggled with it all year long. And by the end of end of summer, uh, we got an engine setting, I think, that was much better. Mm-hmm. Um, we got the chassis figured out. 
Um, and by then, you know, the the whole uh, Lake Havasu incident had gone on. And and what, and what I, I look back now, what's really uh, disappointing is is that there was some um, with our engine spec, we had to take a few steps back to go forward, right? Right. That type of mentality. And uh, the Lake Havasu thing happens, you know, on a on a Sunday morning, and on. Tuesday, I believe it was, we went out to uh, Carlsbad and we went testing. Mm -hmm. And we found what we needed. We found the missing link. Yeah, yeah. And I was really pumped. But everybody else, like even J-Bone, we didn't really talk about it. None Mm -hmm. of the guys on the team talked about it while we were out uh, testing. But everybody knew that, you know, you know what had hit the fan. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I'm just going on like business as usual. Um, Yeah, and then... um, I decided to uh, to get in touch with uh, the DA and all that stuff down in Lake Havasu and just try to expedite what's going on here, you know. Yeah. So um, met with the DA on a on a uh, Friday, you know, which is only you know five days after yeah. after the arrest, and and uh, on the way down, I got the call from Bruce Sternstrom that uh, that uh, Cowie was going to let me go. Mm-hmm. And that it was his choice, you know, his uh, his uh, decision. Um, that must have been. But true. it's not like there weren't. It's not like we had never had a meeting with my business manager Dave Stevenson and and myself and Bruce's office going, hey, look, you yeah. need, you know, you need to tone it down. Yeah. I mean, we had a couple of those meetings, you know. And I look back <laughs> yeah. on it, and it's like the whole J Law thing right now. I'm just going, wow. He didn't. He doesn't see it either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you're like, and, hey, buddy, uh, I've been there. I know it. Yeah, I've been there. I've done that, and 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 so, you know, I can empathize with that uh, situation. But um, it was a tough call, man. I was uh, I was with my buddy uh, Tony Strangio, and I said, uh, said that was Bruce. Uh-huh. And he's like, wow, not good. Nope. <laughs> and so, really. What came after that was one of the toughest phone calls that you have to make. Is uh, I had to call my dad and, and uh, tell him what was going on, and and he didn't know that anything had even happened. Oh, okay, he didn't even tell him the first thing. Yeah, not the not the proudest moment as a son. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah, uh, Bruce but, is. Um, yeah, okay, go on. But my dad actually uh, took it extremely well, and he's like, "Hey, you weren't happy riding that bike anyway, and uh, uh, you know, obviously." Some changes have to be made, so mm-hmm. to get to it. And I'm like, "Hello, hello, can I speak to Gary, please?" <laughs> so, You're like, "What happened to my dad?" <laughs> certainly didn't have that much understanding when I, you know, was yeah. 12 years old, and I you spilled you know, the paint or, the wall or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, uh, Bruce told me that when he, when he gave you the news, and I. I could. I thought he said that you were in an office, but I guess not. But uh, no, I was. You, I was in the desert. You kind of understood it. You didn't. You just went, yeah, yeah. Like it's almost as if you knew it was coming. Uh, you know, he he felt really bad about it. He told me he felt really bad about it. You know, but you kind of knew it was coming. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, when I had uh, I had been on the phone mm-hmm. uh, with the DA down in Lake Havasu, and and she's going, why, why are you wanting this to happen so quick? Yeah. And I said, look, lady. Yeah. What you're gonna any any. Um, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, penalty or whatever mm-hmm. that you're going to give me is nothing compared <laughs> to what's going to happen in my professional life. Yeah, yeah. So let's just get to it, okay? Right. And she's like, okay. 
And uh, I said, yeah, I said, you know, I'm probably going to lose my contract and all this other stuff, and, and this yeah. whole thing is going to, you know, totally crash and burn. I said, let's just let's just have an outcome here. Let's just finish this thing off, do what we got to do, so I can move on. Right. Um, yeah. So. Uh, imagine if there was the internet back then. Oh man, the, well, name, it, the it, names it, that Fro would have been called. Yeah. Well, that was the beginning of it, so I think that's how everything happened so quick. But yeah, you know, it it. Um, I missed a race. Uh, I remember speaking with Larry Brooks about possibly riding their bike in the last couple of races. And, yeah. You know, AMA wanted me to, uh, of course, to take a, a drug test and all this, you know, nonsense. And mm-hmm. um, but uh, Tim Dixon still had my tour bus uh, back east, and I said, "Hey, pull that thing into uh, Steel City. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fly back, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna show my face. You know, just kind of." It was really uncomfortable, you know, because here I didn't have, I couldn't go to the Cowie truck. I walked past the truck, but yeah. I'm not on that team anymore. <laughs> but I just made sure that I went there. I said, look, here I am. Hello. I'm not in jail. I'm not, you know, any, you know, how the rumor mill, rumor mill gets. And it's like all of a sudden, you know, that everything gets to be bigger than what it is. So I just showed my face and I said, okay. Right. Yep. I made a mistake. And what what happened after that was, you know, just a few weeks later, I is when I really decided that uh, you know, man, I gotta, I gotta make some changes here. I don't, I don't like the the direction that I'm going. Right. So. And uh, and and so what what made the Yamaha decision? Well, how did that come about? Excuse me. What what came? Well, how did the Yamaha decision come about? Like, let's get a Yamaha. What did that? Did they give you any support? How did that go? Well, I had um. You know, right away afterwards, I got together with uh, Tony Strangio and Tim mm-hmm. Dixon, you know, two, two of my best buddies, and, you know, tried to reformulate a plan. And, and I got on, uh, I had tested the uh, Primal Impulse uh, Suzuki. Uh, Mike Rearing, you know, offered up their team and bike right. and stuff if I needed it. Um, he didn't really agree with me. Um, I had a chance to ride, uh, I think it was Brian McGavern or somebody had a YZ250. Uh-huh. I rode it. You know, we talked about it. Dixon's like, look, this bike is the best bike through the whoops. And if you want to be a Supercross champion again, you're going to have to, you're going to have to figure it out because you are the worst guy through the whoops, okay? <laughs> um, and if you want to win Supercross, you have to be the best guy. So we said, okay, let's get on the Yamaha. Um, tried to do a deal with Yamaha. Um, Keith McCarty was not interested. Then he was interested. Um, we decided to run everything through uh, Jim Herkman and North County mm-hmm. Yamaha. Yep. You know, Yamaha really didn't, they, they, they wanted to help me. You know, we had had a, a great history together from back in the early 80s on mini bikes and then, of course, uh, in the early 90s. Um, but I was just kind of taboo, you know. Right, yeah. Nobody you really were... knew what I was going to do. And so, and I'd got on that bike and I still hadn't had. I still hadn't made the, the decision to really get things focused um, until after uh, I went to the went to the first round of the World Championship at uh, Rose Bowl? In, uh, Paris. Yeah, and I got a third that night, uh-huh. and um, I, re- I remember being on the podium and just like, man, this is like yeah. this is the best night, <laughs> and. It was a soccer stadium, and I walked out onto the middle of the grass, and it's raining, right? You know, it's been raining all day. Yeah. And I remember being uh, in the middle of the soccer field, just looking up at the lights, and the rain's coming down, and you know, people, you know, picking up the track and all this stuff, and and I just felt at that moment, I just felt okay. 
you got to you got to make some changes in your life and you can do this again. Mm-hmm. You can be a supercross champion, you can be a champion, but it's going to take some changes. And so then that uh that next week I decided to uh go into a drug and alcohol uh, you know, a rehab and mm-hmm. and that was uh one of the best decisions that I had ever made because it, it's exactly what I needed to um you know, to um you know, to a mature at yeah. that level, I was still acting like an eighteen-year-old. You know, you're not. Uh, you're not talking about rehab at the Hard Rock Pool either. I'm not talking about rehab at the Hard Rock. No. <laughs> okay. I've been there. That was part of the reason. <laughs> you went to rehab for the rehab yeah, pool. We created. The um, rehab. Well, that's interesting. And actually, I didn't know that. I didn't know you actually went and sought help for it. Um, so that's, uh, yeah. that's something I learned. It, it's you know, interesting when yeah. you go through uh, a situation like that. You know, you you, you kind of learn about who you are and what. You know what drives you to make uh, make the uh, decisions that you are, and I I recommend it to everybody that is you know struggling with some sort of a uh, decision like that that don't be afraid to take the step and kind of you know dig up what's inside and, and I, it's not like I had anything major I just just needed to get focused and that's what I needed yeah. to do and um, I mean I remember coming to. Uh, well, we went through the U.S. Open and all that stuff, but specifically when we came to the Rolls Bowl, is uh, we were doing the press conference, and I had won the U.S. Open at that point. Mm-hmm. And I remember it's the first time that I, during the press conference, you know, with everybody around, the writers sitting next to me, you know, all of us, it was the first time that I voiced it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, um, I, I think it takes a lot of balls to do that, you know, yeah. to not just keep that kind of hidden and, okay, well, that's a little my thing. As I said, no, I'm going to voice this. I'm going to tell everybody. And um, I think that as far as my competitors went, they, once again, if, oh, shit, if he's getting if he's getting his act together, that's bad news. Right, right, yeah. he, he, You know what I mean? Um, he's going to be, you know, some real, yeah. you know, some real uh, competition. Goes back to that confidence thing. Yeah. Yeah. Fro's getting it back. So um, the off season comes. So n- off season of uh, ninety ninety nine comes out, and you're you're riding Yamaha. You're testing it. How do you feel at this point? How do, are you riding at the Yami Supercross track, or where where are you where are you practicing at? Yeah, well, Ross Mayetta did a um, at uh, you know at Enzo did uh-huh. a, a spec for the uh, fast cross in Italy, mm-hmm. and then he did a, a spec for Supercross. And we never changed it. Really? No, no testing. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. We just—that <laughs> was the spec, and and then we ran it. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Look, tell me what it needs to be, Ross. I trust you. Just make it what you think it needs to be, and then I'll ride it." Yeah. With the engine, we worked with um, with Varner and you know, and uh, with FMF. Uh, Buddy Morgan actually was helping out a bunch, and Dixon was building the bike. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did a extensive testing. Um, with the engine of making that thing get the whole shot. You want to win the U.S. Open, you got to get the whole shot, right? That was the that was the plan. Yeah. And so we did start after start after start, and uh, dude, that that's that's how I won the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. I got the whole shot. Right. And uh, yeah, what a night that was. Um, well, and that once again, it comes back to the same testing that I did back on '80s. That yeah. I know how to. I know what I want. I know how to start. Let's make the bike be the best that it can be out of the gate, and you know, yeah. I mean, I got the whole shot both nights. Right, right, yeah, you, 100, 113 grand. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's nice that you remember that. The uh, what happened? So you come back, you're, you're looking good, and the rumors had it that you know you were super fast. I remember again, I was still on the scene as a mechanic, and 
it was like, hey, Fro's riding really good, and and he, you know, he, he's coming back, and you watch out, and then disaster strikes. You uh, you break both of your wrists or arms. Which yeah. which was it? Both. How <laughs> uh, what happened? What happened in the crash? Um, what's interesting is that 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 fall. Um, was probably the best that I've ever ridden a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Except most of the time, um, you know, not too many people got got to see it. But especially uh, November, uh, December, um, after the world championship ended, I I had a good ride but a horrible finish at the final round, mm-hmm. and I was so pissed and I was so motivated. Um, so in the, in the December, I mean, I was just on fire mm-hmm. and. We were putting the team together. We got a semi. You know, we got a sponsor. You know, like in Days of Thunder, it's like, yeah. we got ourselves a sponsor. <laughs> got match tires. Yeah. And um, and so Dixon and Strangio were doing what they needed to do. I was doing what I needed to do. And every day we'd be out at the Yamaha track, and we'd go out in my Ford four-wheel drive, and we got the bike. Mm-hmm. Not the test bike, not the race bike, <laughs> just the bike. The yeah. only one we have. Yeah. No testing. No suspension testing, no engine. It, th- this is it. This bike's good enough to win on. And I remember specifically having a talk with uh, Dixon and you know, and also Tony. I said, look, you know, we're not going to beg Yamaha for parts. We're not going to beg them for works this, for factory that. Yeah. I said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do the best I can on what we have. And I guarantee if I do that, then they're going to they're going to offer us what we need. Yeah. Okay, so once again, it comes down to the mindset and the attitude. And every day we'd go out testing, you know, and I would match McGrath's time, whatever it was. Every day we just kept chipping away, chipping away, and it was the best that I've ever gone through the whoops uh-huh. in my life. Right. It was all because of the attitude, you know. And I was really driven during that time. And, and it was, um, I mean, I, I feel real fortunate that I had the opportunity to go through those days because I, I used to hate testing at this time of year. Right. But it all changed. The mindset changed, the attitude changed, and I just was chomping at the bit. And, I mean, you know, in my mind, I was going to go win Supercross Championship as a privateer. Right, right. I mean, you know, nobody had ever done that. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was motivating. It was exciting. Um, and uh, the day that I got hurt out at, uh, out at uh, Stefan Roncato's track, that was probably one of the best days that I've ever ridden a motorcycle. Oh, Made really? A little mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Made a little mistake and came up short on this little, uh, you know, this little triple thing and pushed both my hands through and and uh, bent, you know, mm-hmm. bent my hands back around my arms and yeah. snapped my wrist, both of them. Jeez. No bueno. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. What was the emotion after that? I want to quit or, or F this, I'm going to rehab and come back stronger. Um, what was that like? That's interesting that you asked that because uh, it was really emotional that, wait, all this is done now. Mm-hmm. You know, here I'm forming this new team and all yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's over. I mean, you know, like that momentum has mm-hmm. stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of had a feeling, you know, that, uh, wow, I've accomplished what I need to um that maybe it's maybe this is a sign, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to Anaheim one with uh, two broken arms and watched the main event. And I left the main event just going, dude, 
I can beat these guys. There's yeah, no yeah. way this is it. Okay. And so I yeah. rehabbed, uh, rehabbed my wrist. It was the most painful rehab that I had been through in my life. You know, to this day, I, my great wrist, you'd never know that I, that I had the injuries that I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Matiko did a great job on my, on my wrist and, um, you know, got, got, got back on the bike again. Um, interesting that, uh, you, you know, it's almost like you said it was maybe a sign, but it, I'm trying to relate it to something that I know where, where like, uh, maybe some movie or something where a guy gets ready and sure he loses the championship battle, but he knows that he was there. You know what I mean? He put the work in yeah. and he was on his game and, and you know, it, it goes one way or another, but he knows in his heart, he's empty. He's done. You know what I mean? As far as, uh, yeah. he's come back from the, from the abyss. So, uh, interesting. Yeah. I kind of put a parallel to that. If only I could remember that movie, but I can't. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, well, I mean, what, what was interesting is that, uh, um, once I got back on the bike, uh, Button had gotten hurt mm-hmm. earlier that year. Yamaha was uh, offered me the the four was it four twenty six at the time. Uh, four twenty six, yeah. Uh, they had offered me uh, the factory bike, the factory ride, and uh, I said, "I really, gonna, you I know, know, I've that. got my team, mm-hmm. and I have an obligation contract and stuff." So I went out, I tested the bike, and you know, keep in mind, I'm still rehabbing, yeah. uh, you know, my wrist and stuff, but really impressed with the bike and you know it seemed like it was going to fit my riding style too you know the right. low end torque type of thing i don't like to rev it like wow this is really exciting and we're going to come back for the motocross championship mm-hmm. um tried to get a deal done though uh, uh, uh with yamaha we couldn't make the numbers work i wasn't willing to ride the bike for free mm-hmm. um I wanted I wanted something out of it. I felt like I deserved something out of it, um, and uh, and then that, uh, like they say, that fateful day a, a few <laughs> days later, uh, I went out to Glen Helen. Literally a few days later, like yeah, it was yeah. Uh, a little less than a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I go out to Glen Helen uh, to do a little bit of testing for the first national mm-hmm. and uh, third lap. Come up to that. You know the old finish line jump and yeah, in front of the grandstand, shut off the throttle and it didn't shut off. It just kept going. Jeez. So you 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 bailed off of that. You fell off the back of that, and that and you broke you break your back. Um, were you really? I remember reading that you couldn't feel your legs. Is that true? Or like yeah. at first, really? Yeah. I mean, I was kind of laying on my right side. Yeah. You know, if you can imagine, uh, kind of face down, but yet on my right side and. And uh, right away, knowing, wow, okay, something's wrong. You know, a lot of a lot of tightness in my back and my stomach and everything. Um, mm-hmm. Looking down, couldn't couldn't get my boots to move. You know, I couldn't move them. Yeah. And uh, you know, maybe it was five seconds, maybe it was twenty seconds. It right, right. Like you know, eternity. But uh, I went through the whole thought process, like, yeah, that uh, this is wow. I think I just got paralyzed. Yeah, yeah, scary. I mean, it was a lot more F words in there, but, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and then I started feeling the pain from my right leg. I had a compound fractured my right lower leg mm-hmm. at the same time. And I started feeling the pain. Okay. Pain's good. Yeah. Um, and then I moved, moved both my legs and, you know, yeah. all of that kind of, you know, that, uh, state of shock that I was in went away and. And uh, right there, I just remember, like, I, re- I can p- 
you know, I remember it like it was yesterday, but I was looking at the at the dirt like I was in the mud, mm-hmm. and I could see like every grain of sand, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like everything was so <laughs> um, in focus. And right then, I just I just felt it like it's over. Yeah, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah, really. Just like that, it was like my racing <clears throat> spirit said, "This is it." We're done. Especially after all, like you said, the work you went through with your wrists, where it was incredibly intense and, and hard for you, and uh, and then that happens. Uh, yeah. Throttle stuck. YZ250, not good. Yeah. Um, so your team that year soldiers on, or you know, tried to soldier on without you, but you uh, ran into some funding issues, I guess. Some of your sponsors, maybe. No, that maybe? was the year after um, Phil Lawrence came on board that yeah. uh, that year. Uh, Brian McGavern rode the Supercross. Had to, um, had to let him go after that. Um, at the end of the season, we brought uh, Michael Byrne over yeah. from Australia, who Phil Lawrence recommended. Um, I was going to give you credit for Burner for discovering Byrne, but okay. No, if I remember correctly, he even rode a Honda. Yeah, something. he did. He didn't even ride yep. one of our bikes. No, he rode a Honda. Um, and um, and Phil had hurt his shoulder or something, and and then uh, the EdgeSports.com wanted to step it up. Um, Kawasaki needed to fill a void in their racing program mm-hmm. and it all came together um with one of my other dreams was to be a team owner mm-hmm. and uh so that was the transition from the racing's over but let's keep racing yeah um i don't want to gloss over your back and your leg injuries i just wanted to hurry, hurry things along but i imagine that was pretty uh pretty intense again another recovery another another therapy you know that kind of deal the toughest thing was uh, was getting on a plane and making it out to uh, Davy and Shannon Coombs's wedding because mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, I wasn't really uh, in the best shape to be up and about like that. But yeah. um, you know, Davy's like a brother to me, and so I soldiered through. And with the help of a, <laughs> a few uh, prescription uh, medication, you know, painkillers, and uh, yeah, yeah, and made it back to Morgantown. Uh. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure he appreciates it to this day. Yeah, uh, wouldn't miss it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the team ran into funding issues that next year. That had to have been another blow to you to uh, to pack that thing up. But I admire that instead of packing it up, you were like, hey, Burner, you're doing well in the Supercross. I believe he was you know, one of the top privateers, if not the top privateer. You're like, I'm taking to the races. And there you go. You guys were in a van, I think, for the last three or four. And uh, I think that was really cool of you to do that. Yeah, well, certainly wasn't the best business uh, decision. And, uh, mm-hmm. Dave Stevenson, my business manager, said, hey, you need to shut the doors here. This thing's bleeding money. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the, the EdgeSports.com was about, you know, seven hundred, eight $850,000 uh, behind yeah. in checks. Um, so we spent everything that we had and a little more. Um, so after all that was said and done, we really didn't make money, you know, make any money. Yeah. And that was having a you know a sponsor of uh, about seven fifty I think or maybe it was a million five a year. Mm-hmm. I mean it was a significant amount. I'm sure there's plenty of teams out there this year that would love to have yeah. have those type of checks coming in. But um, you know that was a racer in me. It's like I'm not going to leave these guys hanging out to dry. And and unfortunately Casey Johnson and I we weren't getting along. His results weren't there. Um, and I had to make the decision to let him go, but to support Michael Byrne. And it really came down to his effort and his attitude um, is why I decided uh, to do that, because I could have easily just said, hey, sure. you know, yeah. 
there's there's no money, we're all done. Yep. And I felt that Michael uh that he uh um that he uh, deserved that opportunity and so we we got him uh you know, got him away to the race. I think it was with uh Pedro Gonzalez and whatever team he was on and mm-hmm. probably cost me, you know, thirty, forty grand to uh Yeah. You know, to make sure you know, he was that out I took there. out of my pocket yeah. for him to go race at uh, the end of the uh, championship. But we got a top ten. We reached our goal, and and that's and that was totally worth it. Yeah, no, it was cool. Like I said, I always thought that was because believe me, a lot of people in this in this industry would have just been like, "See you later, burner." Sorry, bud. You know what I mean? So it shows something. It, it says something about your character that you did that and you helped him out. And I, I mean, burner and you are still incredibly tight, and I think you guys will always be friends. And I know he's told me before in one of these podcasts again that you know ma fro took a chance on me and i'll never be able to repay that to him and you know what i mean so greatly yeah. appreciated on his end i think oh, i love the guy I mean, he's like a brother to me now so yeah uh segueing into uh into the motocross the nation's career that you had one of the best ever uh runs uh g- losing and winning but you know jeff emig was always there for the team no matter what uh i i want to see which was the worst of those nations for you, and which one was the best one for you? Because you were on a couple of losing teams, but then a lot of winning teams too. Yeah, so. I can tell you those weren't those weren't great. <clears throat> um, losing the motocross of nations is uh, is a tough thing because you feel like that you really let everybody down. Um, really, one of the toughest uh, defeats of my career came with a two-two score. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the toughest defeats of of all, whether it was the nations race or championship race or anything, uh, because I in ninety, um, see ninety two, ninety ninety, um, ninety four, we're in uh, Roggenberg, Switzerland, mm-hmm. and I felt that I was the fastest one twenty five rider in the world. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is that our bike just was not set up for a fast track like that. Yeah. Um, Paul Malin was riding. Uh, uh, Michaeli Rinaldi's teams. Uh, I think it was Bobby Moore had won the uh, championship, uh, the world championship that year on the bike. Yeah, it was well suited for the track, and and Malin, he rode awesome, dude. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, I mean, yeah, he was hard to catch each moto, and and I I rode the best that I possibly could, and it wasn't good enough. And even though the other team riders didn't have, you know, yeah. the days that they needed to. Um, I I took it upon myself that if I had won both my races, that uh, and been the top 125, that we would have won uh, the Chamberlain Trophy again. And so I just took it personal, and mm-hmm. I felt like that I let everybody down. And it was a tough after the award ceremony. I think it was uh, uh, maybe Davey or like Eric Johnson or somebody had uh, spotted me out like like down the hill on mm-hmm. this track. I was kind of overlooking this beautiful Swiss Valley where the racetrack was, and it just got to me, dude. The emotions came out, and it was, uh, you know, it was yeah. it was very, um, it was a t- tough emotional moment. I'm glad that, I'm glad that I at least had some time alone right then to where I could get it out and nobody wanted to take a picture or <laughs> talk to me at the time. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and being on the first U.S. team to lose in uh, 14 years or whatever, I mean, that's, yeah, you you know, you took it tough. And, yeah, uh, not good. And I, I felt really bad for uh, Bevo Forte because he was the team manager that year. And, it's you know, it's not like Bevo did anything wrong. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's the team manager that that lost it, you know. And yeah. so he – I know he takes it personal too, and we joke about it now. But it it doesn't mean that it wasn't uh, uh, tough to swallow right. back then. Right. 
in. And uh, in 97, when you lost, uh, apparently it just watered the crap out of the track. I mean, is that I'm – not, I'm not, that's not an excuse or anything, but was that all true? Yeah. But track prep so wasn't what? there. You yeah, know, yeah, it's okay. not like we weren't all good mud riders. Right. Um, you know, that was the only – that was the only time that I had finished uh, outside of a second in my class was the was the final moto. But right. um, once again, the first moto, um, um, I should have easily won the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt Nickel passed me and won the race. I was pretty disappointed. Um, Lammy and Dow just had horrendous motos, you know, getting taken out and crashing and right. whatever happened. and. And that was a tough one too, because going in going into the final race, I mean, we weren't in it; we were out. Yeah. <laughs> and once again, I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" You know. <laughs> and this is going to ruin what 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 is my per- you know my perfect season. You yeah. Know? And you didn't and, go the uh, year before, so. Yeah. Was, yeah. I, I was just telling the story uh, just yesterday that, you know, that final moto in Belgium, I, I was going to show everybody who the fastest motorcycle rider in the world was. Right. Right. I get the whole shot like start to wheelie away mm-hmm. i don't think i took a breath the whole time i just was so angry and uh then m- my forearms blew up my brain blew up <laughs> and i faded back to 11th and i never fell yeah and uh that was that was a pretty tough a tough way to end the season that know? was that was on par with the seattle uh first to 14th i imagine or tougher yeah it was yeah. just like that yeah uh what about okay so we've covered some miserable designations for moments for you but what are some of the best ones well i mean the the um what issue is this volume 12 number 12 yeah 12 12 december 09 has got uh the eric johnson story on the 92 team mm-hmm that was great. Um, I really enjoyed the 93 win that we had. I especially enjoyed the track uh, that was in Austria. Yeah. Um, really enjoyed the trip and everything that uh, that we went on. And um, you, you know, the 95 when uh, I was teammates with uh, Lampson and Hughes, and and uh, Rhino had that really disappointing final moto where Kurt Nickel had crashed in, just in front of him and took him out and he tried to battle back and that was when I was kind of slowing the race up and the mm-hmm. Belgians thought that I was trying to slow up so I could take out Smets but I, I wasn't going to take him out I yeah. just wanted I just wanted us all to tighten up you know yeah, yeah, to yeah. give Rhino a chance because he was battling so hard came up short there um, to the Belgians and that's that was a tough one to take um, not that I dislike him or anything now but back yeah, then yeah. it was you know it was bitter rivals and then to come back in '96 uh, and to dominate the way that we did, uh, Lampson, McGrath, myself, we just dominated our classes. Spain, right? Yeah, yeah. We, just, we just, yeah, nobody had a chance. You know, the <laughs> best, the best memory from that day was that in the first moto, I got the whole shot on the old, on the on the big pig on mm-hmm. the 500 Cowie, and um, Tortelli was the, uh, the the 125 world champion, and Lampson was the. Uh, was the AMA champion, right? And I had it in my mind that if these guys got together, I was going to let them duke it out. And so oh, I yeah. just basically pulled over, let them by, and and just rode behind them uh-huh. and watched these guys just trade paint, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, I wasn't really worried about anybody, um, you know, anybody in my class. It seems like I had it pretty well handled, but um, just watching Lamson and uh, Tortelli go after it, and uh, Lamson ended up getting the best of him that day. Um, 
there was there was a lot of pride in that too. You know, a lot of yeah. that you know USA thing going on. So I just. Uh... I mean, I read that. I don't have that issue yet, but I did read that story um, before it made the issue, and uh, uh, it struck me as that somebody like Jeff, like Fro, never you never made any excuses. You never said no. You know what I mean? It was just like let's go, let's go to the motocross the nations every year. You know, and uh, I don't know. It's got to be a sense of pride for you in your career. Yeah, I mean, I certainly just to go uh, that many times. Appreciated it. Yeah. It was uh, the event is always something that I look forward to. Um, and I think that we've gone through uh, a um, an event like that this year where, uh, um, you know, some of the guys here in the U.S. didn't want to go. And I think that it was interesting reading the comments um, in this in this issue um, mm-hmm. from Bradshaw and from Stanton and those guys um, talking about that they made the, the, you know, the decision not to go. And Stanton's like, man, I, I blew it, you know. Yeah. I really should have gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, he's about as you know, patriotic as, you know, as a guy gets. So, um, yeah. you know, fortunately I don't, I don't have any regrets that way. Yeah, no. When, when, uh, when America, uh, asked Jeff Emig answered, we could have, yeah. we could have used you on Canada, by the way. Yeah, that's, that's right. Well, you guys can use anybody. <laughs> wow. Whoa. <laughs> oh, you got Dean Wilson. Why do you see, when do you get hey, a hold of him? Smoking. He's, he's, he's going to be awesome. Oh, I know. Um, all right, let's let's uh, we covered your career basically. I think we, finally. I know, I know. Hour um, forty-eight minutes. I know, I know. Let's. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this season coming up. I mean, as as an, uh, you know, not only are you a uh, legend in the sport, not only do you call the races, but you strike me, and I, I don't know you that well, but you strike me as a fan as well. And uh, and so as a fan, this Stuart Reed rivalry has got to be pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it's certainly, it certainly was heated at <laughs> yeah, the end of the season last year, and uh, I got to tell you, James looks pretty good on that on that new Yamaha. They uh, yeah. they are really clicking. Um, isn't but, it? Uh, isn't it funny? Maybe yeah. the change is good for Chad. You know, getting on uh, on the Cowie, and uh, um, you know, I obviously have a great relationship with the company still, and I I believe in you know in the race program that mm-hmm. you know. You know that uh, you know that uh, Kawasaki puts together, and um, sometimes the change is good. And uh, I tell you what, though, they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to get after it because uh, the Stewart's starts are good, mm-hmm. and uh, his finishes are good, and the middle is good, and he's going to be tough to beat. And I was I was thinking about it just uh, last week that you know how do you uh, how do you beat somebody that seems unbeatable? You know. And I've been I've been through that. Yeah. And it's not easy because it took a lot of years, you know. Mm-hmm. So um is somebody gonna be able to achieve that this year? I don't know. Uh Reed got, gonna have to prove it to us, you know. Yeah, Reed got closer last year than I thought he would. And I've told him that too. I I mean he impressed me. Uh he had something for James. You know, he didn't have he didn't have the, he couldn't cover him straight up. You know what I mean? Something had to happen. But uh, a win is a win, and he got a few of them, and he pressured James, no doubt about that, at some races. And I think it's hilarious that two years later they're on opposite teams. They've switched teams now. You know? Yeah. Uh, so that that's kind of ironic, and uh, I think it'll, it'll be pretty exciting. Do you think that those two is the dislike real? I mean, what do you think about that? They really don't like each other, huh? It's just, you know, it's just the competitive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just like they, what you were uh, talking about? They don't like how each other, you know, has gone about their business. But, it, I mean, would expect these guys to be best buddies right now? I just yeah. don't. 
it just ain't going to happen. And there's just too much on the line. There's too much at stake. You know, Chad's going to have to get out of his comfort zone, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if where he's at um, yeah. at this stage of his career that that he's going to do that. Right. And um, you know, he he obviously has a game plan and is going to put together the best program that he can. Um, but just from you know from the analyst position, I just like to see him, you know, just get a little crazy and mm-hmm. just you know get out of that comfort zone and I mean last year we were talking about quarter second a lap you know yeah doesn't seem like much but you add up you know 17 races 20 laps you know Mm -hmm. ends up being quite a bit um yeah, Chad's remarkable string of finishes is is just that it's remarkable but at the same time Maybe you'd like to see him hang it out and take a DNF here and there from hanging it out. I mean, not DNF, but you know well, what I mean. Just, yeah. And on the flip side is that people like everybody's always said with James, hey, just back it down a little bit, mm-hmm. half a second a lap, just get a little more, just bring it back into the comfort zone some. But I don't think that either one of those guys, they, that, they've already established over the last decade that this is what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year, overall speed um, reigned supreme, and it trumped – the um, you yeah. know uh, the consistency that uh, Chad was throwing out. So. Right. Um, looking back on your career, can you specifically remember any times that you were scared on the bike that you hung it out so much that you you were scared? Uh, you know, and it got you to a new level. Like what? You know, what could you tell Chad if he came to you and said, "Hey, Fro, like like you know, you talk about you know leaving my comfort zone. What do you mean? Uh, give me some examples. What would you say to him?" Oh. Uh, I, I mean, I I just never was that that type of rider. That yeah. You have to if if I want to go faster, I have to increase the comfort zone. Right. So and that's stuff that just doesn't happen overnight. You mm-hmm. know? It's baby steps. But like I said, we're really only talking about you know quarter of a second, half a second. Um. You know, getting great starts, not having any mistakes. There certainly were plenty of races last year, like at uh, Seattle, where. Um, if Chad hadn't given up that big chunk, mm-hmm. then the idea of being Mr. Consistent and that's going to win the win the championship, it would have worked. But he did, he wasn't as consistent as what we um, he wasn't his average uh, was not good that night. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like a seventh or something. Uh, yeah, excellent point. Excellent point. Hey, have you ever getting on that have you ever said something in the broadcast that pissed a rider off and 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 came up to you next weekend or called you during the week um because i'd like some advice on that but uh, uh yeah it's yeah. certain oh yeah yeah so, i have and um how do you how do you deal with that how, do, how is that for you it's not um you know you you replay it um you go back and analyze it and say okay is what i was saying was it true is it true mm-hmm uh, was it uh, my opinion or was it fact? Um, you know, I try to put myself in their position, and and um, like there was a, the, um, a situation in the motocross championship this year that 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 we had to address, and and um, I really learned something from it. I learned something about myself. I mm-hmm. learned something about how I call the race, um, about what my focus needs to be and what my mindset needs to be. So, sure. I mean, not too much. I mean, yeah. nobody really says anything good or bad. You know, only if, you know, a couple of hiccups here where somebody didn't appreciate it too much. Um, but I don't think you're doing your job if you're not, you know, offering just, some honest, honest looks yeah. at riders. Yeah, I mean, 
people think I need to be a little bit harder, uh, be a little bit more uh, critical on the guys. Um, and I think as I uh, get more comfort and more confidence in the booth, um, I, I could be that way. Um, mm-hmm. But I just call it how I see it, you know. Yeah. No, I think at the end of the day, that's all you can do. And you certainly have the credentials to back up whatever you're saying, you know. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I try not to, you know, it's not about me. It's not about my career. It's about what I know and, you know, how I'm going to analyze what's going on now. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm real fortunate that, you know, like I said, we have a great crew that has um, – you know, like with our producer who basically, you know, writes the shows and comes up with mm-hmm. the idea and the vibe for the show. Um, our team that puts it all together, um, what we come up with, um, I think is, is is uh, you know, right on par. I think that they do a great job. And it, it's, it's tough to do our sport. Um, it's tough in one aspect that we have few winners. And like this summer, we had quite a few winners. Mm-hmm. And it was really exciting. Um, but if one guy takes off with the championship and wins week after week after week, um, it's tough to make it exciting from a standpoint as if you're not, you know, one of our normal viewers. Okay, right. So you're always trying to reach new viewers um, and make the shows exciting. Um, so there's always, always uh, challenges with it. But for me personally, I work with a great uh, vocal coach. Um, I enjoy really? the work that I do with him. Vocal coach. Um, and and uh, how it, uh, you know, what sort of mindset that mm-hmm. puts me in each and every week uh, to get ready for the shows, you know, because, I mean, we're not curing cancer here. We're just calling dirt bike races. But right. for me, it's the most important thing in the world. I want to do it the best that I possibly can, <clears throat> okay? And that's yeah. and that's that because that's that's the mindset of a champion. That's what a champion does. Right, no matter what you're doing, if you're flipping burgers, I'm telling you, if I was at In-N-Out, <laughs> I would make you the nicest hamburger that has ever oh, been, that sounds been good. put on a red plastic tray. That sounds okay? good. Um, because that's what a champion does. He builds a champion hamburger. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, Fro. Uh, I never, sense, I know? never looked at it that way. Uh, we we've talked off the air, and I've told you I wish that you leaned on your racing experience more. That's just my own opinion, and, and certainly what you say makes perfect sense. Where you're not living in the past, you know, you're you're going to look forward and talk about the riders on the screen, and it's not about Jeff Emig. Having said that, though, I wish sometimes you would be like, hey, I remember I nail I T-bone McGrath, and he was met, you know. So I don't know. That's just me as a Moto fan, though, you know. And, and, and I, I I see your points though. I think it's just, uh, you know, I think it's a confidence thing that, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I feel confident uh, talking about that stuff or if it, gener- if it, you know, specifically relates to something that has happened um, or a situation. I mean, I have in the past, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like to go there too much. I yeah. keep it pretty current. Yeah, no, I know that. Uh, hey, let me. You don't have to go here if you don't want to, but I heard there was an altercation or some words between you and, and, and Jason Lawrence one time after a race at a bar or, or at a hotel or, or something. Uh, and I, I don't know. I heard that maybe you weren't along on the best of terms with him. But if you could or have you spoken to him about anything or have you ever offered advice or what? What kind? What's kind of? What's that relationship like? Well, sure. Um, I mean. Uh, the year before that, Sip uh, Kovic had uh, had spoke, you know, kept uh, calling me about, uh, you know, about uh, coaching uh, Jason. And mm-hmm. It wasn't like I was going to be his trainer. Yeah, it was just going to be his coach and his life coach. And 
it was something that I wasn't interested in. Finally, it uh, made sense. We spent a very short time together. Um, it didn't work out. He wasn't ready to make the changes. It wasn't jiving with, with what I was, um, you know, my plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, and then it got it got really bad because here I'm like, man, I'm trying to help you, and and uh, yeah, there was a situation one night that just wasn't wasn't so good, and you know I was, you know, I, I just got uh, you know really offended that uh, you know guys like him and Hanson they were they were calling me out on stuff, and I'm going, man, here you guys are telling me in one breath that I was your favorite rider, and then the next minute you know you guys are wanting to gang up on me and it's like yeah. <laughs> i would have never done that to brock glover or rick johnson or somebody you know uh, i mean i'm like wow that's not yeah. very uh yeah. respectful when i'm trying to help you and if you you know if you guys have so much respect for me what i did as a racer or whatever then why why aren't you listening yeah, and, yeah. i mean Sort of why I, I brought that up. Guys, I had the same guys calling me back in the day, okay, the guys before me, because mm-hmm. they see it much clearer than what you do when you're in the moment. And uh, my my hope for Jason, just like it is, you know, for Josh Hansen right now, um, is that those guys get it figured out because um, they have incredible opportunities and both riders, I mean, extremely talented. Yeah. Um, and hopefully this situation that uh, Jason Lawrence is going through that he's going to learn something from it, accept his mistakes, you know, um, and make make some changes because that's all we really want. That's the that's the real hope. That was that was the attraction with all of my fan base around the time of mm-hmm. you know, of the U.S. Open. They wanted the underdog to win. Right. Right. Yeah. They no, you, it. it was hugely the popular. We love it. Yes. The human nature. We love that shit. Yeah. And uh, if Jason Lawrence is able to realize and actually, you know, do the work that's involved uh, to make a better life for himself, then, um, you know, a couple years from now we could have some really great things to say about him. And that's really the only hope is that uh, 10 years from now, you know, he's not, uh, you know, Right. In, a, in a big dark hole somewhere, you know, with a bunch of uh, regrets. Now, uh, I mean, obviously he doesn't have nearly the race wins and titles that you have, so maybe this is a dumb question, but it was is he the Jeff Emig of 98? I mean, no. no. The Jason Lawrence of 2008, yeah. 2009. Um, yeah, I just I bring We're all that, individual. I, That's, yeah. I mean, certainly there was the Weiner in the 90s and Lachine in the 80s and me in the – yeah. Or, wait, Weinart in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could call it that. It seems to fit the decades. But uh, um, you know, I know you have a hell of a lot of race wins and titles to back up. You know, where Jason has a, has an East Coast title. But I don't know. Just when you brought up his name earlier, and then you started thinking about, you started telling me about how uh, you know you got help for yourself. And I'm like, I I know you'd offer Jason some help. And I'm like, man, if only you could listen to Fro because Fro's been at the top. He's been at the bottom. He's been in the middle. <laughs> you know yeah but so. if you ain't ready you ain't ready it's all up to uh yeah. all up to the individual and hope i mean uh thankfully good point i was ready i wanted to make a change i wanted something better in my life and so now you know i'm uh i'm a i'm a husband i have a uh, two wonderful children um professional career is going well yeah, yeah i've got a lot of irons in the fire a lot of interesting exciting things in my life so uh i mean i'm fortunate that i that i had the racing career uh you know uh, that i did and that i have an industry that i love being around um 
I love the people that I associate with um, in all the different facets and uh, you know it's yeah. it's it's pretty cool industry and that's why I'm not going anywhere I uh, I can't find too many people really anybody to say a bad word about Jeff Emig and I think that says something well, the, well they're out there don't worry really I don't know yeah, you just gotta hit the numbers I'm gonna try I'm gonna ask around but seriously if I it, mean you know when you say like hey yeah fro froze if it was one in a hundred you've probably been through 99 now and the, that last one is gonna, yeah. uh, no no I think you're uh, I think you're, you're universally loved to me anyways I think uh, uh, as a rider as a person you know as a champion and all that so not well too, uh, you know Blow it up it's too much, interesting. But. There's there's certainly situations out there that I'm not too proud of, and mm-hmm. uh, things that I've done in my life or how I've treated people at times. You know, probably wouldn't appreciate if that was, um, you know, if somebody had treated me that way. But right. you know, you try to learn from your mistakes and you move on, and you try to mature and you try to learn and get better, um, do things right. And so, but uh, certainly there's, uh, you know speed bumps along the way and and i've hit a couple but i like i like where i'm at right now yeah well said uh anything you want to uh anything you want to pump up on this podcast you know anything you want to talk about any anything going on uh, you got you want to publicize i don't even know (laughs) no not not specifically other than that uh if all you guys could go out and grab some of uh my old teammate ryan hughes go on his rhino organics website and uh grab some of uh some of the delicious organic fruits and nuts that he has. That would be cool. There you go. And, and all this time, I just thought Rhino ate raw meat from animals he freshly he does. choked. He you does. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's got to be organic, an organic uh, um, animal, though. Yeah, yeah, like a, like a yeah, orga- uh, 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 whatever. Joke yeah. lost me. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, cool, Fro. Thank you for doing this. Part two of the uh, Racer X podcast show. And uh, you've, uh, if you add these two together, you've gone longer than Wardy. And uh, it's a new record. But uh, Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate everybody listening. I know that this has been uh, probably upwards of two hours if you put them both together. And I'm uh, glad that there's this outlet and um, that, you, uh, that the fans are listening and are interested in, in, uh, in our stories. So. Yeah. And uh, certainly see everybody back again at Anaheim 1. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Right on, Fro. Well, thank you for doing the Racer X podcast. All right. Take care. See you. This has been the Racer X podcast show with Steve Mathis. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows with motocross legends such as The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The dogger, Ron Lachine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like being a dead horse, and, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course, everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven time, Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pitch and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? 
VO show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you said that you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in, I really do. Subscribe to the Racer X podcast show through iTunes to enjoy these and many more great podcasts. Baby, what can I do? Strike, you know, I'm about to ride.